welcome to Afroability, a conversation about African business and technology. Today, we're going to talk about Andela, the software developer recruitment platform. We'll explore the Andela story across six different areas. One, labor markets in Africa context. Two, Andela's founding and early history. Three, Andela's fundraising and growth over time. Fourth, its product and monetization strategy. Fifth, its competitive positioning and potential exit options. And then sixth, we'll end with our overall outlook. This episode was recorded on November 7, 2021. Thank you, birthday. How goes it? Thank you. First of all, I like software developer recruitment platform as a good one. I like that. Yeah. But yeah, yes, yeah. it's my birthday. Yeah, happy yes. birthday. So it's, it's unbelievable we're recording on your birthday of all days. So yeah, happy birthday wow. to you. Do you have a girlfriend who sanctions this? <laughs> I have a, I have a, I have a wife who's not pleased about this, but yes. Wow. Yes. Well, tell her sorry. I don't mention my name. <laughs> I just, I, I love just, it. <laughs> We've already got off script. People are going to be listening saying, oh my God, there's a third voice. Okay. Okay. To all the listeners, there's a reason there's a third voice. So we're talking about Andela today. So recruitment development platform that connects companies with software developers in emerging market. It's sort of an outsourcing company, but they don't like that word. So we're not going to be using the word outsourcing because it's not. If you're in America, it's hard to think of a specific comparison, but if you're in India, it's sort of like Infosys, it's like WePro, it's like Tata uh, Consultancy Services. They don't like those comparisons either. I'm, I'm excited to talk about Andela. I'm excited to talk about $1.5 billion yes. uh, valuation Andela. Yeah, they raised a, a lot of money. And in fact, to be honest, this is probably should have been the first, second or third uh, Afrobility podcast episode because one of the most important companies in Africa. However, we kept on postponing it and postponing it. And to tell us to help us tell the story today, we have, I guess you heard someone laughing. We have E on board. Welcome, E. How are you? Oh, very well. Thank you very much for having me on the day and Banco Labor. We're, we're very we're, exci- excited we're to test excited. that. For the audience, in case you're wondering, oh, how come we have someone coming in today? How come we have a special co-host? Normally we don't have co-hosts, but the Andela story is such a big, massive story. We thought it'd be helpful to get someone who was very familiar with the initial piece and initial story. So some more information on Andela. I- I'm going to blow through this. So Banky, they've raised $380 million. So a lot of money, right? As one does. As, as one does. As you do in Africa Tech, raise a bunch of money. The Casually. It's about $1.5 billion. It's sort of like a marketplace. It connects people with talents, engineers, software developers, with people that want jobs like companies. So it's a it's a client's marketplace that helps people find specific um, talents and bring them on board. Company needs engineers and that helps them find engineers. And the company has many different options to find engineers, including recruiters, including agencies with different business models, including project-based work, including mm. uh, offsite teams. And those are the people that, I don't know, if you're a startup in the U.S. Race Series A and you have $10 million to burn on talent to get to the next milestones, right. you can use Andela or you can use a number of all those different options. We all know E in Africa Tech. Any yeah. uh, quick info you want to give before we start? I've been working in African Tech um, for the last seven, seven years, seven, eight years. I helped co-found Andela. I helped co-found Flutterwave. Um, I worked really hard in those businesses to try and help them build um, and shape mission and early direction, just with a view to ensuring that people understand um, how these businesses can be of broader impact for the economy. Right. And today I, I run something right. called the Fund for Africa's Future, which is really trying mm-hmm. to replicate similar businesses that have huge economic and social impact. Ah, we're going to have fun today. So actually, before we started recording, uh, <laughs> you were saying this is like the all-in podcast. So we're going to go a little bit crazy. We're going to have some fun. He's probably going to yeah. be more serious. I'm going to be the crazy person. Okay, so 
this, is, this is where we're, we're going to do it. So we're going to go through a bunch of different sections. I'm going to talk about labor markets and Africa context. He's going to talk a little bit about the Andela founding story, how all the superheroes came together. Banky's going to talk about fundraising and growth over time. I'll talk about the product and monetization strategy, and then we'll wrap our overall outlook. Okay, before we start anything, quick public service announcement, PSAs. If you are a founder, if you are an operator, reach out to us, info We'd love to connect with you, drive the ecosystem forward. If you're an investor, reach out to us. You can also reach out to E, because E is also an investor, to drive the ecosystem <laughs> forward. And then for anyone who wants to follow us, just go on our website, afrobeauty.com. There is a white button. You can follow up Sunderstar mailing list. Uh, he also has his own website, which is the Future Africa website. You can also go there and sign up. So that that is it. I'm going to start with my biases. So E, in case you haven't listened to many Afrobility episodes, um, we normally start with our biases. And basically, the context for this section is, I guess, all human beings have biases. Some of it you know mm-hmm. about, some of it you don't know about it. And because mm-hmm. because our episodes are stories about companies and stories about founders, we like to be explicit about our biases upfront. Banky, you want to talk about your, your biases first? Yes, <laughs> my my bias my bias is that I'm extremely positive about these models. Um, <laughs> <laughs> only because, only because, so, so I went to, I went to Unilag and it's right. a completely different, I started electrical engineering in Unilag and it's a completely different experience. And I work in tech and I work in tech, high tech, but there's a completely different experience from learning to code, if you can call it that in University of Lagos and what it means to ship production code. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gap is being filled by people who are learning and teaching themselves, but there's no, there hasn't, until recently, right? When I was in university, there hasn't been a market. There hasn't been that market demand that drives me to spend mm-hmm. more time coding. And it mm-hmm. always ends up being that thing where um, a part of me, so I work on very technical products now, I'm in PM, but a part of me is always like, oh man, I'm really attracted to being an engineer and didn't have those that as a credible option. But mm-hmm. now it's very different for an undergrad in Nigeria, which gets me excited. So I'm just hyper positive about the options that a business model like this opens. So Forgive me if I if I'm less cynical. Maybe <laughs> but that normal. Uh, e, what are your biases for this company? I guess we all know your biases. <laughs> well, I mean, you might be shocked. I'm, I might be a little bit less of a stand than uh, uh, the bank colleague is. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm about to, no, no, no. Wow. Okay, I gotta repeat that because that's wow. misunderstood. I yeah. think I'm more reflective. Than, okay. than, than, than pumped up. Uh, why? Because okay. I think, because I was there from the beginning, I can share, right. you know, how right. we thought about it, how our thinking changed, what the company is today, which is very right. different from what, what, what very. it was when we started. And what how I feel about that, right? Oh, wow. Oh, we're going to have fun today. I'm so excited. Oh, okay, okay. My, my, my biases. My biases are, okay, my biases are, when I when I started to think about Andela, I'll admit to the audience, my biases were a little bit neutral. And the reason is because I was like, well, sort of outsourcing, it's sort of a professional services company. It's not really a tech company. But then the more I thought about it, I spoke to more people. And the more I started to reflect on it, the more my biases became more and more positive. So now I'm just going to go through how I think about some of my negative and positive biases. So negative biases, like I said, professional services businesses, so not really a tech business, but I guess that's not really a problem. We need all sorts of businesses in Africa, not just pure tech companies. The second thing is Andela's message throughout its history has been a mix of like storytelling, mission statements, which sort of rubs me the wrong way. I just prefer pure tech, technical stuff. But well, again... Yeah, you're not going to like me because I'm all about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no, so it's, it's sort of like, the, the more I thought about it, I was like, why do I have that bias? I, can, I think because I studied engineering, I work at Google, my bias is in that favor. But then if you want to get a lot of people to follow you and if you want to like create a culture change, you sort of need a story I need a mission yeah. and a vision. So I understand why, why they do that. It's just sometimes it brought me the wrong way. But anyway, that's second negative bias. But then I also have a lot of positive biases. Number one, E's here. So, so I can't. So I, I can't. No, no, I, pretend I, I'm not here. I, 
I, I, I, I can't. Honest, I can't. To be honest, pretend I'm not here. Okay, okay. I I'll saw, try. I'll try. I I'll saw try. a podcast. I saw somebody <laughs> review the podcast like right. yesterday or two. Say like sometimes scathing business reviews. What <laughs> it was okay. described as scathing. Okay. That's life. I, what I can tell you is, I will if if I think that it's fair, I'll tell you. If Please, I think okay. that it's unfair, I'll give you context. But you believe what you believe, right? I'm not going to change it. You know? Okay, so, 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 so that's, the first, that's the first thing that make me more positive. He's here, even though he told me I should send not here. The second thing is one of my best friends used to work at Andela. So Shinny used to work there. I love yeah, the guy. Yeah, I love Shinny, Shinny like a brother. So it's sort of like my biases, even though I started living negative, I'm going to be super positive because like one of my best friends used to work there. I can't really be negative. In fact, that's the reason why I put off doing this episode for such a long time because I'm like, oh, I'm going to be so biased. If I take some of the negative positive biases, the average is probably going to be quite positive. So we'll try to uh, maybe you'll keep us straight. Uh, constraint here. All right. I'm going to kick us off with some context about the labor markets before 2014, before Andela was a thing. Okay. So yeah. if, feel, feel free to jump in. Bankoli always jumps in, but you are co-host. So if I'm saying anything that's nonsense, tell me to keep quiet. All right. Okay. Okay. I won't do that, but okay. We totally should. Context on labor market. So I think there are three key factors that made the market ripe for a company like Andela to exist. So the first factor is booming population and uh, fertility rates in African countries and emerging countries. First thing. Second thing is high unemployment and youth dissatisfaction in a bunch of African countries. And then the third one is increased need, and this is a global need, increased global need for software developers across a bunch of different companies in, in the developed places. So those are the three key things. I'm going to talk about each of those three things, but just to summary for the audiences, if those three things are happening simultaneously, it's clear that there may be a need for a company like Candela. So let's dive through each of them. First thing, booming population fertility rates. I mean, everyone already knows that this is a super bar. So I'll go through this very quickly. Um, a lot of um, reports, and let's just pick The Economist and the Bloomberg one, they say Sub-Saharan Africa's population is increasing by 2.7% per year. I was like, oh, 2.7%. That doesn't even sound like a lot. That sounds like close to zero. Compared to Southeast Asia, e, e is one uh, Southeast Asia is 1.2%. Latin America is 0.9%. So Sub-Saharan Africa is the fastest growing country uh, region by population, and it's adding the population of France every two years. So it's growing a lot. The fertility rates are the highest in the world. So Nigeria is five. So a woman give birth to an average of five children. Um, Kenya is three. Egypt is three. South Africa is 2.4. United States is 1.6. And the global average is 2.4. So as you can see, like, this, these are stats I guess everyone knows. And the key stat that drove it home for me is I was thinking, like, yeah, Africa is growing a lot. I know that. Population is large. I know that. But the key stat was, it said, by 2040, Nigeria is going to have a population of 400 million people. I was like, oh, my God. Now, that is a stat, like, Growing up in Nigeria, I knew there were a lot of people. Well, 400 million is even hard for me to wrap my head around. Any any thoughts on this first piece around population and fertility rates and just people? Well, I think I think it's it's one it's one factor. I, I think I think the most glaring piece of data that I I worked with when I was when we were studying Andela was like 35 years um, from now, Africa is going to have the world's largest working population. Mm-hmm. Right, and and when yeah. you think about that in the context of technology change. Um, and the need for jobs, right? The, the reality is that if a company like Candela doesn't exist, those people are going to pick up weapons and they're coming for you, <laughs> yeah. wherever you are. Yeah. So so I think the, the whole idea is, okay, because quite frankly, when it comes to labor and productivity, it's one or the other. Either a population mm-hmm. is productive and, and booming or they literally descend into war. And I think, you know, some of that is where you see, you know, in places like northern Nigeria and quite frankly, all over the country. Right. When a government doesn't actively work to make productivity um, um, possible for the vast majority of its people, 
they just descend into war because you have a lot of young, energetic, um, testosterone-driven human beings, and they're they're gonna just start killing each other like native man. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's really that's that's really the key. And you know, yeah. Bankole and I normally talk about the tech side of these things, but I think this is a broader country economic political issue because for a lot of my friends, like when I go visit my friends in, let's just pick a random country, let's say India, right? Actually, mm-hmm. no, let, let's keep it on the Africa piece. Let's keep it on Nigeria uh, because we're all very familiar. You go and they're like, oh, I have my own generator that provides me with power. Yeah. I have a guy who helps me with food. I have a guy who helps me. I'm like, yeah, you can do that, but the rest of society should probably also have some mm-hmm. benefits. Otherwise, there's going to be anarchy. So, yeah, I agree exactly. with you. There's only, no matter how much money you have, you can't provide enough for yourself when the country goes to shit and people actually want to revolt. So I guess there's a broader theme around giving more people opportunities so the whole country can develop together. Yeah. Yeah. One one thing about the founder Mandela is, oh, one thing about the African narrative is people always, like those stats are true. They mm-hmm. were true 10 years ago. They were true 20 years ago. Correct. And they're actually still true today, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit like, is it, is it like tech becoming a viable job career in 2014 that made it make sense? Because I also feel that like, like at what point, like why not 2008, right? Well, Obviously. Well, yeah, let, not, let right, me explain. So, so, so something else that isn't often factored into this labor economics conversations is that hmm. the population rate is growing much faster than the economic growth rates. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, and so what often happens, I mean, in 2008, that was not quite the case to some extent, but in 2014, and especially now with COVID, that is definitely the case. Um, The Nigerian economy is growing at most 2% a year, and we don't have um, the, I'm sure we can print money, but we don't have enough dollars to be able to stimulate our economy the way the US can, right? And so you end up with a scenario where the markets uh, um, um, that that are growing faster, um, Mm. at least in a real, real return basis, Right after, is, inflation. You know, <laughs> after inflation, that are growing faster than many African countries can absorb employment. Now, before 2014, you, you had a geographic limit on labor. So people could only work in Nigeria if they lived in Nigeria. They would have to get a right. visa to go work somewhere else. The magic of what Andela did to that economic equation was that it basically freed, um, it made the internet a third factor. Right. So now you can either work in Nigeria with Nigerians, or you can work in the U.S. Um, via the internet. Right. So this is just another example of how the internet is kind of changing the typical economic models. For, for, for the audience who's not familiar with what he's saying, the key thing he's trying to talk about is with like video calling, audio calling, remote working, there were some technological advances that made it such that you could sit in your apartment in Lagos dive into a San Francisco team and work with them versus before that, it would have been a bit difficult. And another thing to know for the audience is because they already speak English in a lot of the countries I'm going to mention soon, it's also easier. You don't have a language barrier. So two things yeah. to emphasize. Yeah. Exactly. When, I, when, I was, when I was an undergrad, I, I, I spent a lot of time in these like forums um, when I was practicing interviews for my first job, like just mm-hmm. meeting people, but they were not like economic mm-hmm. opportunities. They were like Pen pals or whatever it was at best. Right? Yeah, they were exactly. more like let's talk about something. But all of a sudden now, and it didn't even cross my mind at the time that like you know there's money to be made from here. And right. what gets me excited now, and part of the reason for my bias is you can be in year three in elect elect in University of Illinois 
or whatever, right? And you could be making $45,000 a year without even trying very hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? That's insane to me. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I, and, you know, I was talking to the leadership of the Nigerian Association of Computer Science Students the other day, and a lot of kids are doing this. Um, a lot of kids are doing other stuff. That's not great. But a lot of kids <laughs> Separate are like, conversation. Yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of a lot of kids are doing are, are, are like making money on the internet, going on Fiverr, mm. building their skills, earning yeah. money. So I think mm. long term, actually, my, my my opinion is, I think you have a better chance of making jobs on the internet than you do um, physically. Hundred percent, hundred hundred percent. In fact, it's, it's just yeah. a matter of, of numbers because, like, whatever country you're in, that country yeah. is only a small proportion of the overall economy. The exactly. internet as a whole is of every country combined. So, of course, your country is yeah. only going to be a small proportion with just the math. Um, exactly. And and the other day, I was I was watching something. And it's like um, the the I think it was somebody saying we need two hundred and fifty million developers, and we only have twenty five million. Oh wow! Right? So. And, and, and the other thing is that these jobs pay so well that they actually are able to, they, they have two times, they can, they can help you, like they hire, they hire two times on the same salary. So what do mm-hmm. I mean? Like you're, you're paying somebody 300,000, 400,000 Naira, which is, mm-hmm. which is under $1,000, which is really underpaying them. And even with that salary, they're able to engage with services that employ another two or three people. Right. right, and that, that's per, per month, right? That's not per year. Per that's month. Per, per month. month. Yes, okay, yeah. for the audience, right? Yeah. Um, speaking of unemployment, I, I can also dive into some of the numbers. I mean, the numbers are horrible, but let's blow through them quickly. So, South African unemployment, thirty-four to forty-four percent, one of the highest in the world. Nigerian unemployment, thirty-three to fifty percent, one of the highest in the world. Egypt and Kenya seem relatively lower. So, Egypt unemployment, seven to ten percent. Kenya, six to ten percent. But after I spoke to a few people in these countries, they mentioned a lot of these numbers are bunk, and the actual unemployment rate is way higher than some of the some of what. Uh, reporting in these numbers. So basically, the key takeaway here is quite bad. And by the way, these are just the numbers. There's always the emotional, economic opportunity cost of being unemployed. Like I was unemployed a few times in my career. It's not a good feeling. Um, so I feel just sad going through some of these numbers. The psychological toll on the youth is quite bad. So yeah. when you add underemployment and youth youth unemployment as well, like mm-hmm. you start to get alarming numbers, like right. get three young people in Nigeria, two of them are unemployed. It's insane. Like why, that's not, it's not acceptable. Right. Um, you know, in 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 uh, in the world where and it's not acceptable, but yeah, yeah. right. And, and and then the the third piece, which will bring us uh, all home, is the increased global need for software developers. This one is so obvious, but let's blow through it. There's no statistic you can find that won't tell you this high, which this is um, escalating. So if you look at the median price of a house in San Francisco, which is always my metric for software developers, it's increased from wow. Six, yeah, honestly, <laughs> increased from six hundred thousand to buy a house in San Francisco dollars by the six hundred thousand dollars to one point nine million year? in twenty nineteen. In what year? In tw- twenty twelve. I was, I was like, wow. yes, 600K must have been a pretty shitty house. Okay, so that's it. Um, another <laughs> thing to, to, to note is um, Satya Nadella mentioned a great quote. For the audience, Satya Nadella is the CEO of Microsoft. He said, right now in the world, non-tech companies are hiring software developers more than tech companies. So, yes. so just the, the demand is so large that let's pick a non-tech company. Let's say Coca-Cola, right? If you add all those companies, they have more software developers than a quote-unquote pure tech company like, let's say, Amazon. So, yeah, so to summarize... Goldman uh, Sachs uh, likes to say that. Exactly, Goldman Sachs likes to say that too. So let's summarize what, what we are. If we look at all these factors, there's definitely something there. There are people who need jobs. They're living in countries where they have high unemployment, they have low opportunity, and they're businesses that need software developers because they need those developers to help them create the products and services. So bringing those things together, I wanted to pass it over to E to talk about some of the uh, early founding story with with um, Andela. And E, maybe you can also start with like your background and childhood and then roll that into the Andela story altogether. Then we can jump in. Yeah. 
Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, my background is really simple. So, I mean, I was I was born um, in in Lagos University Teaching Hospital <laughs> in uh, Diaraba, very famous famous teaching That's hospital, funny. public public hospital. So, right. definitely no. My father was just starting life with my mother. I had an mm-hmm. elder brother, um, and you know, he he hadn't yet. You know, it was, it was a pretty tough time for our family because. My father, you know, was just starting to make his way in life. And, um, you know, and then, you know, um, as I grew up, I, I grew up with actually a, an interesting um, convulsing disorder, which no one actually knows what it was. Um, oh, wow. So I had a lot of health problems when I was growing up. Um, and so I spent most of my time, my first five years, I think, in and out of the hospital. Um, there, But my, my dad got a really good job with Shell at one point, And then, we got moved to um, um, St. Xavier School in Ikoi. Um, and no, sorry, not Ikoi, in Ibutemeta, sorry. Who dashed me, Ikoi? Uh, St. Xavier School <laughs> in Ibutemeta. St. Xavier School in Ibutemeta. So I, I, was, um, I was there um, for, for, um, for about four years. Um, then my father moved to um, Wari. Um, he wasn't getting... As, as ahead, like he thought he would at his job. So he decided to make the move, move the family across the country down to the south, um, where he kind of made a switch from, you know, treasury management for Shell to managing community relations affairs. Um, so hmm. he was there. Um, and then militancy started. <laughs> so it was a pretty, pretty crazy time to be there. Um, thankfully, um, at about the same time, I... I moved uh, my, my my I got admission to Loyola Loyola Jesuit College mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I spent uh, uh, quite it, a it, bit it, of it, it, sorry for interrupting you halfway through yeah. a lot of our audience are from America or Europe can you just give a little bit more context about what militancy means and they can understand what was going on a lot of people okay, are international sure. they might not so mili- understand yeah militancy was it was a period of time in the Niger Delta when um, there was a lot of hostage taking of all workers yeah. um, and there was a lot of um, um, terrorism again. Why would yeah. I call it terrorism? It was kind of more like bunkering and a lot of lawlessness. Like so, there were these groups, um, Niger Delta Avengers, uh, Movement for the Emancipation of Niger Delta. These were like all these separatist groups, which yes. were protesting the environmental degradation of Niger Delta, and so they would um, kidnap oil workers and bomb all facilities. Right. Is it fair to say yes? Nigeria had a lot of oil. And on one hand, the oil could have made the country better. But because some of the places where the oil was being extracted, extracted from, the community and the people felt like they were being taken advantage of, then they started to fight back. Is that a good representation of what was going on? Fighting back against what they uh, thought was ex- ex- exploitation? I want to say that was what it was. I have to admit it, it is a bit more complex than that. <laughs> mm. I think that's, that's fair. That many, yeah, I think many times... Um, and, and this is not to to place blame on anyone, but like that was the, the issue on the surface. But right. again, when you look at where the ransom money went, when you look at where you know some of the concessions that were made went, you know they right. just went to the same the same people, uh, the same wow. politically you know motivated leaders. I, I I think one of the things you learn very quickly in Nigeria is like you know. At every level, leadership is incredibly selfish, not selfless. <laughs> right. So it's very common for leaders to think about themselves first, right? As opposed mm. to live for their people, 
You know, you know this American ethos. You know, I was reading the yeah. other day that America has had six wars, like drafted six times. In wow. Nigeria, if a president tried to draft people to a war, he would not right. survive. you know you know know, it's it's so funny some of the audience might be listening to this and i'll be like oh we're going off topic this is actually on topic this is very critical because as we think about the andela story there's something about like giving more people opportunity doing something which is more bottoms up and just democratizing opportunity and giving more people a chance to make a difference versus just top-down control top-down leadership one percent so i think even though this is about energy and oil there is some relationship stuff and some linkages we can link to the Andela story. Anyway, you were talking about eventually you went to university. I just I wanted to clarify that. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, so I went to Loyola um, Jesuit right. College, where again, you know, we're basically taught taught um, to be entirely selfless. So, um, <laughs> grow, basically, Jesuit education, you know, finished from Loyola in two thousand and seven. Um, right. They went to Ibadan. Um, so I was doing my A levels and I was working for a professor at the University of Ibadan. Um, and then in um, in two thousand and in two thousand and seven, because um, I graduated in June, um, what had, what happened was uh, my my dad um, in, in the September of that year, my dad was exploring options for myself and my brother. Mm-hmm. And um, well, actually, he was exploring options for my brother because my brother studied science. I had a pretty mm-hmm. good jam score, and I was supposed to go to OAU. So my brother studied science, and my dad was of the opinion that, you know, science education was best prosecuted abroad. So he was going to send my brother <laughs> to Canada. Right. And um, the school gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. They told him, if you send two kids, we'll give you 25% off. And my father looked at the math and was like, okay, I'll, I'll take the chance. And so he <laughs> found another extra couple of cash and then, you know, added it to what he had and then sent uh, me and my brother off to Canada in January of Amazing. 2008. Um, wow. So I went to a prep school called Columbia International College, full of Chinese, an amazing place. Um, learned mm-hmm. a lot about people from all over the world. Um, first time I'd ever really traveled um, outside mm-hmm. of, of Nigeria. And right. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Um, and um, after that, I... Um, uh, you know, I, 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 because I was very worried about being um, sent back home, because <laughs> I just figured at some point my father might might stop paying. So I did all my courses <laughs> really fast, right? Um, and and I got admission to University of Waterloo that September. Right. So I went nice. to Waterloo. I went to Waterloo that September. It was a very close ship, though. Actually, I was actually rejected, but because Ooh. my grades were, well, yeah, I was actually rejected my, because my grades were were pretty good. My guidance counselor was Waterloo alum, basically like forced issue. And right. I had to, I was taken to a college in Waterloo. So I went there. It was a pretty nice experience. Um, the first couple of years, I was very focused on law. That was what I wanted to do, especially competition right. law. Um, and then. Why? But by the way, E, why do you, because I've listened to all the podcasts you've yeah. ever done. And I always wanted to ask because you could have done anything. You seem to have a lot of eclectic interests. Why did you pick law or legal studies specifically at the time? That, that's a good question. I think at the time I was very interested in, in Nigerian politics. I've always been, right? Mm. Um, very interested in Nigerian politics. And over time, my interest, my interest <laughs> in law changed over time um, mm. from very political, human rights-driven um, to one that was more focused on, I call it business as people. Mm. <laughs> so if, business, if, if a business is a person, 
what I started first of all studying what rights does a business have? Um, mm. Can a business be discriminated against? I, I know it sounds crazy, but that was actually yeah. what my paper was about. My paper was about right. protectionism as a violation of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, yeah. and it was a pretty you know, good paper. Yeah, yeah. How so, did you how did you get to like tech? Like if it's like law. Yeah. So the story then... was very interesting. So the first day of school when I got in, um, I met this guy, long flowing hair, Canadian. Mm-hmm. Montreal, from Montreal, a uh, Polish guy called Pierre's, Pierre Iris. And Pierre, um, Pierre, you know, he was a computer science and math student, um, yeah. also in my in my college. And um, so, I, I, so he walked up to me, we're talking, and then he basically said, hey, I need a place to stay because my hostel is not ready. So please, you know, can I stay at yours? And I was like, sure. And we became good friends after that. Um, I lost touch with Pierre because we, one of them did this thing called cooperative education. So you went to school for two, two months, two, two terms, then you went to work. I went to nice. work at the United Nations the first time, came back to school. But the way it works, sometimes after that first term, some people may be sent off. So he was in another co-op batch from me. So we lost touch for about two years. Right. And we yeah. only kind of came on campus in the same cycle um, in... Hmm. 2010. By then, I had gone to the okay. United Nations, and I had also worked for the school newspaper. In 2010, that was the first time I then kind of, um, um, uh, you know, I, I saw Pierre really by chance. I was walking out of the editorial room to get lunch, and I just bumped into him. And then he told me he had been spending time in Silicon Valley working it's for F. Joe Lonsdale at Adapa telling me about them sleeping on the tables, Golden Gate Bridge. I thought it was just an amazing, amazing story. And so I, I kind of made it a point of duty to go visit with him. So I actually took, I went, we went to San Francisco together. I fell in love with the place. It's amazing. Went for right. a conference. Um, and, and really, and then we, we went and watched the social network together. <laughs> and um, That's going to have I've some more significance more, later in the story. <laughs> I've never felt more, um, I don't know whether this was the idea Aaron Sorkin was trying to go for. Yeah, Aaron Sorkin never, was not I was, <laughs> trying to recruit for tech. Yeah, but I, I've <laughs> never felt more in sync with somebody than the Mark Zuckerberg character. <laughs> oh, wow. That <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg played. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that was an own goal for Aaron Sorkin because I, that, that definitely didn't put him into tech. Because, right. you know, I, I was always like a scrawny kid. I was always bullied and all that. So I always felt like, mm. okay, what's the way to get the power, you know? And and, and that felt like, that felt like, oh, wow, this is amazing. So A question, apologies for interrupting you halfway through your story. Do you feel no. like if you didn't meet Pierre, would you have eventually gotten into tech inevitably? Do you think it was something no. that, na- na- or, or you felt not. you'd have done something different? Oh, really? Okay. Absolutely not. I, I think if, if, so a couple of things happened when I met Pierre. I met Pierre. Okay. We, we started a company called Booknetter together. Yes. Um, Pierre was living in um, Pierre was living in in a in a residence that the school has created called the Velocity Residence, right. where all the entrepreneurs were supposed to live together and build their startups, and they had extra activities for that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so Pierre um, Pierre literally dragged me into entrepreneurship. If I wasn't <laughs> if I wasn't friends with Pierre, if I never met Pierre, I would be a that's, lawyer because that's unbelievable. to be honest, wow. I'm actually still a pretty good lawyer. I just don't practice anything. <laughs> Yeah. No, the, the the thing I was thinking, I thought when you, I I thought I would hear something about research in motion and Waterloo because there's a yes. strong connection. So research in motion is the company that makes BlackBerry, and yes. 2007, yes. 2008, 2009, 2010, 
They were yeah. top of the world. Right. They, they had a tight connection to the University of Waterloo as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they were based there as well. So I, I yes, thought I would right. see a, yeah. a rim no, no, story no. or something, but nothing. Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't. Because, you know, the truth of the matter is Waterloo was such a big campus, you could literally right. escape from different other parts of the campus, right? So okay. there was research emotion on campus, but it was like, dude, man, like if you weren't going there, you weren't working in the factory. What's your business? Like, what's your right. business, right? <laughs> Interesting. You know, I, I, I hung out with the I hung out with the sociologists. You know, I hung wow. out with the you know the the, the African society. You know, yeah. Amandla. That's you know, wearing. You know, yeah. that was my crew. So I didn't have nothing to do. I was with the journalists, right? Right. The journalists. Right. right. school newspaper. So that was me, right? I wasn't. You know what I mean. That, so, so, so okay. that, that's amazing for our audience listening if you never met Pierre then you wouldn't be here today you'd have just I been a lawyer you know what's fascinating about that I wonder if people would disagree I feel like today someone like you going to school they're much more likely to end up in tech because there's so much stuff happening in Africa tech now companies raising but maybe this yeah, was like this was, it was too, way it was before things were different yes it was, very, it was very, early. very early Super yeah, I remember early. you know we you know, we were we started about the same time as like Udemy Right. Just, yeah. just wow. think about that. Wow. <laughs> we it's started weird. before Coursera. Wow. And Udacity. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, so I mean, that was pretty early, right? Right. So, it was. It's right. very fascinating. Early. Very, very early. Okay. Wow. Oh, okay. So you're you're saying Booknado? So book you started so Booknado. Book we started Booknado. Yeah. Um, the right. the first stupid idea that we had was <laughs> to go and build um uh um a platform. That would replace Blackboard, which was what our school was using at the time. Yes. And we're going head to head with this company called Desire to Learn, which was much bigger and hired like proper guidance and older people and all that. We we didn't we didn't we didn't think to do all of that. We just right. thought like a bunch of kids who are still students at the school and hadn't dropped out would be able to like get a business to build yeah. the school's portal, which was dumb <laughs> at wow. the time. So anyway, the school we didn't win. We didn't win. Um, the bid and so because we didn't win the bid we pivoted and started selling past question papers on on the website and the professors wrote us a letter telling us that that was illegal and they were right. <laughs> so i guess i wasn't that good you were, right. um, <laughs> you were 18 at the time so probably not yeah isn't isn't that how like that's that's a whole business line in nigeria there are apps there's there are ed tech startups in nigeria now raising money imagine? based on selling past based questions, selling past questions. So don't mind them. They are in the past, Nigeria is in the future. They don't own the IP of the question or the instructor. They're just putting in an app and texting it to people every day. Yeah, That's so funny. We went to the Listen to our EdTech episode. <laughs> <laughs> we went to um, the professors and said, hey, like, let's, Ejeka see, like, let's, let's cut you into the deal, right? Let's, <laughs> let's cut you into the deal. Right. And the guys were like, look, man, my problems are bigger than, your change, right? And and it was really logical how they put it. They were like, look, we're primarily researchers at the University of Waterloo. We hate teaching, but we have to if we want to get tenure. So we're just going to give you kids the material to read and then repeat the past questions, Okay. right? So if we were sharing the past questions, basically it meant that wouldn't happen. Do you get what I'm so, saying? So, yeah, yeah. yeah, so that, that was the end of that, basically. Then after that, we went to... Pivot, one of the professors actually came back to us and said, hey, you know, I understand you guys, you know, exactly what the professors told you is true, but mm -hmm. I'm selling some of my courses outside of the University of Waterloo. 
Can you help mm. me build mm. a course portal to do that? And remember, this was before Udemy. Mm. Right. So we just basically built a Udemy, a privately hosted Udemy. Right. Oh, so so e, e, can you help us paint the picture for the audience so we can understand how old were you? What year was this? And then what else was <laughs> going on in your life around, around this time? Yeah, I mean, so um, this, I mean, I was, I was 19. 19? Uh, at the time. Yeah, when we started. I was 19 right. when we started. Um, and then wow. obviously I turned 20 while we're doing it, 21. Um, I was I was supposed to be in school, but I wasn't going right. to many classes. <laughs> right. well, well, so how, how, how did you have the balls to do all this at 19? Because I know so many 19-year-olds, they're like, they're watching TV, they're smoking, they're drinking. It, your story for me is so amazing. <laughs> Which is it's, fine. It's I, don't, I don't think he says he wasn't doing those things. I, okay, fine. I was Sima Kai, so yes. <laughs> I'm like, so, so why guess, are those mutually exclusive? I, I guess the question is, how did you feel how did you have two things the yeah. bravery to do it and then number two how did you find the partners because one thing i've observed looking at your life is you've always found good partners good people to do different projects with so number yeah. one is how, how did you get the balls to do it and then number two how did you figure out who to partner with yeah i mean we we, we partnered we partnered pretty well with, with 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 folks right we had a very good team i mean my cto but all of us were students at the university of waterloo and pierre found yeah. a lot of the talent Right, yeah. Pierre had this really uncanny ability to discover technical talent, and nice. I also I also was very good about serving the talent and mm-hmm. making sure they were, you know, I, I don't know. I felt like a lot of my superpower was helping technical people feel like they were valued within a startup context, right? That's so that was a great superpower to have. Yeah, so so I mean, I you know, Pierre and and I worked really well. Um, obviously, we had our issues, mm-hmm. but. You know, we had a lot of very smart people. Um, in fact, one of one of I discovered the other day that my CTO at Bookneto is currently the CTO of Substack. Which is oh, my yeah, oh my yeah, god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jiraj, straight line. Yeah, straight oh line. Oh my god! So, so crazy, crazy stuff. Um, wow. Yeah, one of the wow. co-founders of Substack. Great guy. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so you know, I was very lucky. I, I, I worked with I worked with some really, really good people. Really, really okay. good people. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so E, now the story's going, you're 19, you're doing this thing, professors yeah. reach out to you. How did everything eventually evolve and morph into the, uh, Andela part of it? So, so what, and then it was a longer story, so I'll shorten it. So basically, you know, uh, um, Bookletter ultimately fails and uh, uh, not mm. for any reason, but just because, you know, we were trying to do this for one professor. I graduated mm-hmm. gr- very grudgingly <laughs> and then, Pierre also graduated and and decided to go to um, um, go back to California, and so I I decided I'd go back to Nigeria. So we sold it to the professor. So I came back to Nigeria um, in 2013, July 4, 2013. Wow! And I um, I uh, started you know just uh, I was in Abuja. I started mm. thinking about what next. So I thought you know. It's a very familiar feeling. I was like, why don't I build what we're doing at Bookneto, but for Nigerian professors? I did it before it worked. I was all do it again. And then the Nigerian professors told me, oh, you need to go to the NUC uh, to get approval. Hmm. So I went to the NUC. I waited in front of the NUC director for distance learning's office for approval for a month. <laughs> so I'll go there every day. They'll see me walk to his office, do his work, not see me leave then i'll come back the next day 
I did that for about a month. For, for, for the audience, can you talk about NUC is the, is the government? Nigerian agency. Universities Commission. Yeah, so the, okay. the government, they're the regulator of all the universities in Nigeria. Um, right. And so even though it was a very simple problem we're trying to solve, they, they just didn't want it to work. And um, and so, you know, we we abandoned it and then started selling, um, we started selling online degree programs, already constituted online degree programs. Um, we sold some Get Smarter courses. We sold University of mm-hmm, Liverpool. Mm-hmm. We sold um, we sold university some one or two other universities, Walden University. So we sold a lot of online online courses. Um, then mm-hmm. we added credit. We used to sell them to bankers who wanted to get promoted. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess if you want to get promoted anywhere. But very in Nigeria, more specifically, people get yeah. master's degrees just you to get promoted. To. It's very yes. common. Very common. Like they go get certification, product, yes. project management certification, yes. and then show it to their boss and say, "Promote me," and it it yes. works. It works. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, the kind of people we're working with couldn't afford to go for an MBA, MBA because they would mm-hmm. have to. Yeah. The family would starve for two years, so yes. they just did it online, and um, and it was a very good program. It worked really, mm. really well. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, after, after that, um, we went on to build, um, um, after that we went on to build, um, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a marketplace cause we thought that was the next logical step where people could right. go and apply. Now that was when, um, we got a new investor, hmm. um, the guys, uh, I think they're called Extreme. It was called Extreme Startups in Canada. And we really needed the money. We needed the money then because we had gone flat. We were working on this thing. We're making some money, but not enough money. Right. Do you have a company Canada. name at this time? I was in Nigeria. Yeah, it was called Fora. Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, so you didn't have, have the, the .com domain? <laughs> That sounds no, important. No, we didn't have the .com. We didn't, we didn't <laughs> How are you going to run past that? Uh, yeah. uh, by the way, East, apologies for interrupting your story. That's very common in Nigeria tech. Actually, Paystack was Paystack.co for yes. a couple of years. And then they got Paystack.com. If you don't Paystack. have the money. <laughs> if you don't have the money. You got the money. You buy the one you have money for. <laughs> <laughs> when you give me the money, you don't know, My man. brother. <laughs> my brother. You understand. You know the name. I got the car. <laughs> When the money comes, when the money comes, you know, like me, exactly. like, you know, you have to prepare, prepare yeah. for your future wealth. Exactly. Oh. So you, okay. uh, you yeah, even put it in the initial seed deck, because like when we do <laughs> Series B, we'll buy the domain. Exactly. <laughs> they are holding it for us. <laughs> okay, okay, so, so for 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 our domain is okay. with uh, somebody in Ukraine, sorry. Okay. So for our .co, uh, right. so we, we, started, we started working with for our.co, we did a lot of stuff. Um, it was it was really it was really good um, experience um, working with extreme startups. But the thing was, you know, when we went to see them in the U in the US, went to New York to see them. Now, when I was coming to Nigeria, a gentleman called Lee Rubinstein, who was running, who was the vice president of business development at the time for MITx. Oh yes, um, edX. Yeah, he introduced me to another entrepreneur called Jeremy Johnson, um, and this was a. <laughs> And this was about the time that I was going back to Nigeria to start this four at the code thing. I got my first funding from the um, the Golden Triangle Angel Network. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then I raised from some other people and then I raised from these extreme startups. So, so and I keep in mind, my whole team 
is in Canada, but I'm the only one in Nigeria. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. My whole team is in Canada, but I'm the only one in Nigeria. So I, I came, I mean, I was CEO, so my mindset was, look, I can't move all these people to Nigeria. I'm going to go do all the grunt work. And right. then, you understand what I'm saying? And then when it yes, works out, they can decide where they want to go. Right. So I, 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 came, I came back, and then I went to, I, I went and spoke to, my friend. Um, um, so I, I, I call. I mean, I met Jeremy when we were mm-hmm. originally introduced before I went to Nigeria. So right. when I came back to New York, I thought it would be important for me to meet with Jeremy because of course. Jeremy was working for a company called To You. It was it was co-founder of a company called To You. Right. And and he worked. He he was in the OPM space. So my idea was online program manager, which was basically what I was yeah. doing. Basically, like online university program manager. So he was, so I, was, I felt like, okay, he might give me some other courses to retail for him as right. part of my marketplace in Nigeria. So we sat right. down. I remember emailing him again and again and again to get a meeting. I hadn't realized, and I feel very bad for that till today. One, it was his birthday. And two, his company had <laughs> just, just IPO that week, which is why I take birthdays very seriously. Back I love it. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I do. I don't have a company. I yeah. I know. I know. I should should respond to all my emails I'm getting today in case uh, somebody's asking me to start another company. Right. (laughs) So, so I I I email him and then he he responds. I I'd almost given up. I was about to go back to Nigeria. Then he responds miraculously, and um, yeah, we 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 go out. We have dinner, Mm -hmm. and um, and um, you know, I, I tell him. Um, what I'm trying to do and ask him whether he would like to fund the company. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and obviously his answer is, you know, no. And this is why, um, uh-huh. you know, OPM programs have an overflow of students. Uh, my business model at the time was to get a commission from the mm-hmm. OPM for every student mm-hmm. I bring mm-hmm. to them. And mm-hmm. he was like, I, I wouldn't need that because I already have more student applicants than I can deal with. So you bringing a student to me is actually more trouble than it's worth. The margins are low. He showed me one or two other startups that tried to do the same thing but failed. Um, and so we, so I, I took his advice. I mean, I was just, you know, I was, I was kind of downcast and, you know, mm. thinking about all the problems he had just laid out. But we said, how old I, were you at the time? Um, this was in two thousand and fourteen. I must have been, um, uh, I must have been twenty three at the time. Okay, so we're quickly going to intercept uh, E's story with a little bit of background about Jeremy Johnson. So some info about Jeremy. Jeremy was born somewhere between 1984 and 1986 in America, obviously. Uh, he started his first company at age 15, yeah. so around the year 2000. Banky, the story around the company is actually quite cool. Apparently, he was playing video games online with his brothers, some of his brothers, and he noticed that some of the gamers were spending money, like actual real money, yeah. USD, United States dollars, to buy virtual currency and digital goods online. So he thought he would develop a central marketplace that enables gamers more easily transact, buy and sell virtual currency across all the different games. So, so Web3, before Web3. <laughs> Crypto. So Fortnite and Metaverse, Metaverse before the Metaverse. That's Jeremy Johnson, yeah. the visionary. That's funny. Yeah, the visionary. Uh, he said it was quite a profitable business, um, as did they all say. Uh, and then he also said he, he hired some employees in North Carolina, and the employees didn't actually know how old he was. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
But it's also like a great story of like there's opportunity at different times and the same stories get repeated all over again. I'm sure when he Correct. whenever he stopped doing that, he thought, oh, that's never going to work or, you know, that's done. You know, now all right. the big game companies are building their own thing. And now, Correct. you know, some 20, 25 years after, it's a complete, complete game changer in that space now where you have to have your own like blockchain, play to earn systems. Everybody's trying their own currencies and um, right. interoperability of NFT, interoperability across like different virtual worlds is such of a big deal now. A lot of companies Correct. have raised big amounts of money to do just what he was trying to do when he was 15. Interesting. I know. And he was doing it in the year 2000. So I guess way, way back in the day, like the AOL days. Moving forward in the story. So he eventually joined Princeton at age 18. So around the year 2003. And at Princeton, he won the uh, undergrad business plan competition, which is, uh, I guess, it's one of those competitions yeah. where the first time I read this, I'm like, okay, this is one of those competitions where you win yeah. and nothing happens. But something did happen yeah. because he got funding. And as part of the funding, there was a requirement that he actually leave school to spend some time on it. And yeah, he dropped out of school to, to work on the business. Fascinating. Princeton is great too. Jeff Bezos went to Princeton. And a lot of other founders went to Princeton. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw some blogs where there were arguments around uh, which school is more likely to lead to CEO tech companies. And yeah. it was either Princeton or Stanford. I'm like, what kind of argument is that? Like, Thomas, is that Thomas Kurian went to Princeton. Oh, TK. Yeah, TK went to Princeton. Okay, There's a lot of TK in the house. Lots of okay. good people. I like a TK. Like, he's, like, he comes to Thanksgiving dinner at your house, like TK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so around, around uh, 2006, so age 21, like we were saying, you dropped out of Princeton yeah. to start off a company. And then eventually, fast forward around two years later, around age 23, 24, 2008, he co-founded 2U. Yeah. And 2U was basically an online program manager. So like he was saying a few minutes ago, it's an OPM. And it's an OPM that provides the technology for universities to offer courses online and degrees. It's like a technology platform. Yeah. So, so the universities can offer online courses and degrees. Fascinating. At this time, it was all these universities. They were not online. Everybody was coming online. Internet access was spreading. And it's more like, yes. okay, how do I get to go to Harvard or Stanford or John Hopkins, actual universities which he had, and they don't have any online programs. So it's like, I will help you, give you all the tools, give you all the equipment to create an online program. Uh, mm -hmm. And we do a ref share model, which is how that made right. money. Yes. Exactly. And that entire business bank you just said is the OPM business. Uh, so while he was there, Jeremy actually wore a bunch of hats. He was a CMO for a few years. He was a CSO, which is chief strategy officer for a while. He was even the CIO for a while, even though he said he wasn't the technical person. Yeah. So a bunch of different roles. And then eventually 2014 March, two you went public and then Jeremy joined the board. Yeah. Uh, so he started to take more of a background role versus a front front facing role. So Jeremy is an established founder, you know, started a company running for a few years, had a public exit, was on the board, yes. figuring out what to do next type thing. Mm -hmm. And 2U is still public today. It's worth about $2 billion. And it's around this time that the stories of Jeremy and E start to intersect. The way to think about it now is, so we have E, 23-year-old, and he's pitching Jeremy, a 29-year-old, on Jeremy's birthday. <laughs> like, yeah, thank his birthday yeah today, exactly. Right? <laughs> and, and the pitch is very simple. E is saying, hey, can my company, Fora, send students to your company, to you, and then those students will have access to the courses you're providing for the universities. Yeah. So that's how all those stories uh, intersect. You were the part of the story where you met Jeremy Johnson and he wasn't going to invest and you guys were chatting. Our conversation kind of went an interesting direction in, in three ways. So the first thing was, mm. you know, I was narrating a story. I was telling him about something that happened to me a few weeks ago, which was I was on my way back home. I was living in Surulere at the time. I was on my way back home and I was passing by National Stadium. And there was a big crowd and, you know, I was, I, I, I got stuck. So I, st I went down and I started walking so I could get home through the traffic. 
And um, I asked somebody around the area what was going on, and they explained that there was a there was a stampede, and um, and some people had died. Now, what was the stampede about? Oh, Six thousand no. people had um, crammed into National Stadium for an immigration interview, so they could get a job. So that that set my thinking off. So I was telling Jeremy about this and about how I can't imagine that in that crowd of 66,000 people, there were one or two people who were really smart and one could teach some skills. Then he also was telling me about right. the experience he had where he was trying to hire a Salesforce administrator for $150,000 in New York City and he couldn't find anybody. So it was in the middle of that conversation that we, we kind of now kind of arrived, yeah, at this thing. And so he told me at the time, he was like, okay, look, E, why don't you go and build this thing? And for me, my mindset was he's a billionaire. You know, he's been successful. I better listen to him. Um, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I went, I went to, mm-hmm. I called my team. He worked with my team. We put everything together, worked on the original traction, everything. Um, and then I was in Nigeria, so I implemented. Nadia, who was on my founding team, flew back with me. It was very fast. It happened like very, very mm. quickly. Um, wow. And by May 14th, we put out our first request, um, our first job description, which basically said no experience required. On Twitter, required. right? On Twitter, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, no experience required. Um, let us pay you to learn how to build software. Wow. <laughs> so. That's we crazy. got we got about four hundred applications in the first, a little over four hundred applications in the first batch. We we whittled them down. Uh, I think we did the second one. There was seven hundred applications. So that was how Candela really started. It was basically the wow. model was: look, we're going to find these young people, train them to become software developers, then go on Elance yes. and Odesk to find jobs for them to do. Um, wow. And then the model kind of has now evolved from there, basically. Okay. Uh, so, so, so in the founding story, so you're talking about some of the founders. So you, Jeremy, Nagaya, can you talk a little bit about Nagaya, how you met him, how you got him on the team, all that other stuff? Because we're trying to tell all the different founder components. So any info you want to share about him, how you met him, yeah. how you got on the team? So, so Jer- that's how I met Jeremy. Jeremy, right. um, um, Jeremy, I met Christina through Jeremy. Yes. So, you know, yes. when we were... Because uh, Jeremy and Christina were very good friends, and actually, yes. it was Christina that had first taken Jeremy to Kenya, where he started oh, wow. having this this thoughts about, um, and and his his point was very much like, oh look, I'm realizing that the kind of education that we provide to you is very expensive, a little mm-hmm. bit too expensive for African, because you know mm-hmm. it's eighty thousand dollars for an MBA, who's going to pay that, right? Yes. Um, right. Most only the richest Africans can afford to pay that, and it's not profitable for them to do it for free. So how do they kind of build a social mission around it? So they they started to explore. So he was basically saying that he believes that if some very specific skills that are very highly profitable could be taught to these young Africans, mm. then they wouldn't they wouldn't need an MBA um, <laughs> education or things like that. Okay. They can yeah. just work with with what they have. Got it. Um, and so, and so that was the okay. ethos. That was the ethos, basically, for um, for 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 that. Um, that's how we met. And and, okay. and by the way, um, Christina at the time was looking to go to Harvard for a PhD in education ah. when she came to join us. 
Um, she was just coming from the MasterCard Foundation. Yeah. Now, the rest of the team came from Fora because what happened was when we were Fora, we were on the ground, we were trying to get to become Mandela. Mm. We realized the hard way that Fora, uh, Fora was obviously not working. So we, we decided to try this out while still retaining parts of Fora to see whether it would work. Um, so, so that was how, so I, I, one thing I had to manage carefully was, okay, how are Fora's investors compensated for that? Because there was no world where I was going to allow Fora's investors to take losses when we decided to do Andela. So the compromise Mm. solution we ended up with was some sort of pseudo merger where Fora investors got shares in Andela, the company. I see. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there are two other founders. So Ian and then Nad, you, you spoke a little about yeah, they were both my team. additional. They're both on my team. About? Yeah, they were both on my team in, um, in there's actually three, Ian, Nad, okay. and oh. Bryce. Ian, Nad, and Bryce. It was a okay. six-person founding team. So right. Ian, yeah. I had met Ian while I was yes. building, while Booknetto was about to wound down, right? So Pierre had gone into oh, wow. time. Okay. wanted to move. We had agreed to sell to this UTM professor. He was a mm-hmm. Waterloo professor who moved to University of Toronto, Mississauga. Um, right. I met I met Ian at a pitch event. Um, we decided to start working together. We're competing, but then we decided to start working together. Right. Um, and um, yeah, and you know, wow. we became very good friends there. Then um, Nad, I've known Nad since I was, you know, my brother and Nad uh, went to the same high school. I met Nad in yes. prep school. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we replaced it then. I also met Bryce in prep school. And wow. all three of us went to went to Waterloo. Okay. Wow. So that that That's is amazing. the founding story. Oh my God. So E, uh Bunkley and I always joke that yeah. the founding story is so interwoven, so many different players. There's so many yes. of you, slightly different yes. visions come together, the superhero team come in and do this. But fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank yeah. you. Any that's questions? A great story. I, I have some questions, but thank you. You, you want to yeah. hit? No, 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 no. That's a, that's a okay. good story. Go ahead. I, I just had one question about it. Was there any time when you felt like, is it better for me to do this with a smaller group of people, do this by myself? Because I can already see from your mentality was like, partner with this person, you and I are competing, let's do this together, partner with this person. Is there any other time? Because yeah. one key thing, because we do so many stories, right? Some founders are much more I want to do this solo. Yeah, they're much more solo. I have my thing. Everyone else is going to support me, yeah. but it's primarily me. Some other founders, they're like, I prefer a team. This person does this. Which do you say you prefer? And why did you pick that route? For, um, for, for Andela. I for guess. Andela. For Andela. Well, for, 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 I mean, even for Fora, I'm, I'm always a big co-founding guy. I think that was more or less the tradition <laughs> I was raised on. Because I, I can't right. code. There's a lot mm. I can do, but a lot of what I do is really sell, right? So, mm. If you're the guy who sells, you really have to know that you are working with people who can deliver you the goods. Right. So, Makes so that was more or less my 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 area of expertise. So I always I always work with people because any other way is too cumbersome yeah. <laughs> or or impossible. Especially uh, amazing. Tech. You need a tech yeah. Guy. yeah. So yeah. I've always worked. Uh, uh, with and, and then we have a lot of listeners and they reach out to us. And some of our listeners are people that want to be entrepreneurs. Some of our listeners are people that are investors. So based on your the story, the founding story of Mandela, is there any piece of advice you can give to, number one, people that want to be entrepreneurs in Africa tech, or number two, people that want to invest in Africa tech companies? So any advice that you, you, you have from mm. the story for those two, those two groups of people? 
I think the biggest thing I learned from Mandela was that, you know, you need to be really solving a, a, a problem for a large group of people. And the more difficult mm. the problem, the better. So mm. when we made that switch from just selling um, a degree that helps you get promoted to a job, <laughs> you know, naturally, I think life felt more interesting yeah. even. You yeah. know, we Time. felt more mission aligned, was bigger, bigger business and all that. And I think for investors, look, just invest in talent first. You know, I, I, because the investors in Fufora did not invest in Andela, but ended mm. up getting the returns from it. So just invest in, in time. Just invest Amazing. in time. Invest okay. in talent first. On that yeah, note, speaking that of in, investors, yeah. speaking of investors, Banky, you want to take us through the fundraising journey and then it's e a great story. In. I know it's so good. Yeah. I, have, I have so many questions. Because because also, as I listen to um, you tell the story of the fundraising and the foreign investors, you just so when we do these things, we rely on like Crunchbase and Pitchbook yeah. and TechCrunch for funding announcements. Yeah. But then looking at the story, it's clear that a lot of the investors, as you tell, like about Golden Triangle, mm. um, Mick Hagen, some of these guys, and different seed rounds listed on Crunchbase. That is honestly different companies <laughs> at different times. Yes, um, that yes. Are fundraising. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a bit of a different thing. companies at different times. Success is everybody's child, so yes. I looked through a lot of a lot of the investors um, investors websites, and yeah. a lot of them have Andela. A lot of even the early small ticket seed investors would just be like, "Portfolio companies Andela." It's like, yeah, you're right. Success has has many fathers, um, <laughs> even though they were not even involved. Like further down the line, it's like yes. we yes. did this thing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm not even mad at all. No, okay. Fond- yeah, the, the, I, I think I wouldn't be here without them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think the 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 big story for fundraising is three hundred and eighty million dollars. <laughs> could be worth one point five billion. Yeah. I think that's insane. I don't it's, know. It's like insane. maybe at it's some insane. point, he's like, did you did you think you could get this big, or were you just trying to like make a paycheck? Look, look. I think I did. You like what one billion dollars at some point in twenty twenty? We're going to be well, worth a billion dollars. Like, I'll be honest. No, I I didn't think that at the beginning. Um, I, I think at the beginning, we're just trying, I'll be very honest. At the beginning, I didn't even mind. I think when we started, I just wanted to work with Jeremy. That was it. Right. Right. Mm. As we got into the work, I got more and more excited about working with the fellows. Right. Mm. As we started to build traction and energy and all that and see the impact of the work we were doing, I just wanted us to succeed. <laughs> so I didn't really care. Mm. Too much about how much we're worth or anything, but I, I guess I could I can I could see it from say the Series A, mm. yeah, from the Series okay. A. I think you could see. Okay, look, this is looking like it could be interesting as a business. Momentum. Yeah, yeah. So the moon. See, yeah, you could see that it was it was going to be a big business, uh, but I think okay. for me, I mean, it's not really about the financial reward, and that was good. But it was more mm-hmm. about the impact that Andela had on the ecosystem, what it made other companies do for their talents, how it changed the landscape of Nigeria in the global software development landscape, how it exposed talent from the country to places all over the world. I mean, these were the important things. Yeah. I used to go so to, I, I, I still you know, do when I'm in Lagos. Yeah, I used to go to White House. You know White House in Yaba, right? I, I was eating there yesterday. Spot. In fact, once I'm done with you guys, I'm going there. <laughs> White House is my spot. Whenever it's I'm in Lagos, I always go to White it's House. Still my, it's still my spot. 
It's and I've been going there for years, you. right? But we miss you. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm an executive. <laughs> Once I started getting a good job, I'm making money from when I left Unilag. I started ordering goat's meat, upleveled my my consumption in White House. Um, no, but the big difference. What I was going to say is going to White White House. Like honestly, for 15 years now, whatever. But seeing the difference between the people that I see there and now going there more recently, more recent years, see a lot of young engineers with laptop MacBooks arguing about frameworks. The other day I was there and I just was arguing about some Django or JavaScript frameworks. And I was just very excited by that. Like, it's like yeah. people are eating Amala and just arguing about who's better at this, this framework or which framework is better. And I was like, that's yeah. a completely different yeah. ecosystem. And that just drives that, that part of Lagos in Yaba is basically our Silicon Valley equivalent, if there was one. Right. And most yeah. tech companies have offices there as well. I just right. find it amazing that people in White House are having this argument about um, JavaScript frameworks. Like, in the last couple of years. Well, okay, Banky, you want to start with the, the fundraising? For the seed round, it's 2014, a lot of different investors, 40X, Golden yeah. Triangle Angel Network, yeah. as you said. Um, then Spark Labs, there's one, this was like yeah. May, and there's another one in September. And by the way, we should clarify, Spark is not Jason and Joki's, uh, Jason Joku's Spark. No, no, this no, is another no, Spark. There are multiple. The, Twitter. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. This park is famous. They also Oculus yeah. and Tumblr. So different Oculus, spark, not Tumblr, Jason. Yeah, yeah, different spark. Right. Yeah. Yeah, not Jason Jones. Uh Paul Applebaum, Mellow Seven, Highline VC, Susa Ventures, which I thought yeah. was pretty cool. Um, yeah. pretty successful early stage fund. Um on the on the series A, one year after, it was fifteen million dollars. Right. It was also like one year after like the idea or generation. It got in enough traction to raise um, like $14.6 million in like a year. Right. And, and this um, is bank, This is 2015 June. So things were happening very, June, very yeah. quickly at this point. One, five million. So crazy acceleration. I guess, E, e yeah. you were saying at this point, you knew it could be big yeah. because investors yeah. were excited. You're raising more money and you could do big. Yeah, things. yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was, yeah. It was, it was big. And it was largely the same people. So it's always like people who have the, the most information and decide to double down. It's basically the best proxy mm. you can have uh, at any point in time. And then, one year after that, in June 2016, $24 million oh with CZI, CRE Venture Capital. Right. The, the interesting thing looking at these numbers is like a Series B company, $24 million, 2016. In this market, we'd be looking at completely different numbers mm -hmm. um, with all these people on the cap table. It's almost like it's insane the kind of valuation opportunities you see there. Right. And, and uh, the key thing about Series B was also a great marketing moment because not only did they raise $24 million, and depending on the... How you think about the dilution, whatever the company was already raised. The, prob the company was already probably worth around one fifty to two hundred million dollars, so a massive company. And it was uh, the investing debut for the Zuckerberg Foundation, the initiative. So yeah, it was like a big marketing moment where they had made some onesie twosies investments, but this was the first major investment by uh, the Chan Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg group. Yeah. So massive marketing. It got a lot of press, and a it was lot a lot of Mark Zuckerberg yes. invest in Andela. <laughs> and it's like, oh my. So does Mark good. know this? Um, but yeah, obviously it does. Um, yeah, but yeah. it was very, it was great for the business and great, great um, for the ecosystem. Great validation of the great validation of the ecosystem and the opportunity. Right. Series C, um, October twenty seventeen. Right. Right. Forty million dollars. Four zero. Like Crazy. four zero. Just raising money hand over fist. Right. Um, yeah. A lot of the same. A lot of the same investors as well. Just, yeah. And then Salesforce Ventures. Right. Uh, joined at the same time. Like this is just annual cycle of just fundraising to the moon. And, and Banky, one thing we should emphasize for the audience, you've, if you've listened to a lot of Afro Booty episodes, the thing you should notice, the key signal is 
when the same investors come back in, it almost always means the company is doing quite well. Therefore, they want to re-up and keep their parada. So even though we don't have yeah. all the actual numbers, obviously, we can infer yeah. that the company was probably doing well. That's why the investors have a lot of confidence to put more money back in. Yeah. And the reason for that is in, a, in any for any venture capital company, a lot of the returns are made by parada and later out. So if you split how much of the return comes from Correct. the initial investment, whether it's C stage or Series A versus getting a parata, like... Anybody who made money on Uber didn't just make money because they invested once. Right. They made money yeah. because they continued to invest through later rounds. Yes. So this is like a good sign where people thought, oh, oh we have a winner here. Let's, uh, right. let's leave all the other stuff. Let's not do any new deals. Let's take the money we have in our fund and put it back in the one we already yeah. seen the returns from. And okay. I guess, Banky, we should also say uh, this Series C in 2017, October, was done by uh, CRE Ventures. And CRE Ventures, they're famous yeah. on affordability because they invested in Flutterwave. You will know about that. They invested in SafeBoda, and they seem yeah. to always invest a little bit later. They do Series A, Series B, Series C. They're not seen investors, but they, they've had a bunch of affordability companies' investments. So, yeah, I, I have a perspective that some somehow maybe in this market, Series A is probably where you want to be. But even then, people are raising Series A pre-product now. So yeah, that's what you said. You said it's a sweet spot, right? <sighs> yeah, but but it's also like. yeah, but it's also where where the market is going. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, okay, Series D. So this is what <laughs> I feel like. Even at this point, the the, the fundraiser was just like, oh, Company X raised money, like cool stuff, back to work, <laughs> and then and then this Series D announcement in January 2019, hundred million dollars generation investment management, Al Gore. Mm-hmm. Couple of the other investors came back and also con- um, uh, participated in the round. Right. But this was a big number, um, January 2019. Normally, when, when Banky is going through the fundraising, it's always like a VC firm, a VC firm, once in a while it's a corporate yeah, VC. It's really uninteresting. It, it's, yeah. it's just standard, standard. But this is like Al Gore plus Mark Zuckerberg. It's non-traditional investors. So social I, I think, impact capital. I, I, social impact capital. So I'm thinking the simple reason is because Andela had a broader social mission. But I'm wondering maybe there's a more nuanced reason why these other parties are coming in. So that's the question. Why do we have more non-traditional investors than we typically expect? Like CZI is yeah. not invested in Flutterwave, at least as far as I know. <laughs> so, so, so I think nobody messaged me. Yeah, so, 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 so I think it's helpful to think about it from the point of view. Of, I mean, Spark is about as um, tra- traditional a tech and CRE and CRE ventures too. Yes, and, and CRE is right. and Salesforce. And so when I hear that, I'm kind of like, mm, I'm not sure. Right? Okay. Because it's like, yes, yeah, CZI was almost like an anomaly. Right. right. right? And then Al Gore, two anomalies. Okay, maybe two anomalies is not enough to, to draw. Two sure, anomalies is not fine. enough. Fine. I mean, fine. if you, fine. yeah, especially considering the fact that every round, they would all have to have contributed. But the people who actually validated the opportunity were Spark. Fine. Okay. Okay. So that's fine. what I was fine. trying to say, like, is the premise right or is your bias showing? <laughs> I, I, I give Ooh. my bias. I give my Ooh. biases up front. So, okay, we can, we can keep going. Okay, so, yeah. so, so that's the deal. And then, yeah. Okay. And then the E round, Series E for E, um, $200 million oh by SoftBank Vision Fund 2. This is where you know they've gone. No. They've gone. They've gone. They're, they're no longer here because... They become a global business, right? Right, right. At this yeah. point, they become a global business. Right, two hundred million raise, one point five billion dollar valuation, crazy, crazy, yes. crazy stuff. Um, and the other investors also came back as well. So right. CZI participated in this round. Generation also participated in this round as well. Right. And then there was Will Rock as well. So I, I just find that very hmm. right. Chan Zuckerberg is still doing this. It's, it's led by, by SoftBank. So I guess. For the audience listening, those are the fundraising pure numbers piece. Let's tell a story about um, some of the numbers behind this, some of the stuff that we're doing. Because I think 
as we go through the fundraising piece, there are a bunch of things happening behind the scenes that we can also deep dive on. So, Banky, should we talk about, they finally announced their revenue numbers. Yeah. Do, do, do you want me to, to talk about that? Okay, no, so. Go ahead, go ahead. For, for the longest time, um, when you look at all the fundraising, you can sort of infer, I guess they're doing well, I guess they're doing well, but they actually announced the revenue number. So we know because of part of that announcement, the $1.5 billion announcement, they the announced that their revenue was $50 million, $50 million in 2019. Yeah. So if, yeah. if, if we look at this, right, so $50 million revenue, valuation $1.5 billion. So it looks like it's a 30x multiple, which doesn't sound no. so bad. I don't think, I actually, I actually, I would hope that the the revenue in twenty twenty one is not fifty million dollars. So, so, what I'm saying. So it's not like in a startup in a startup world, right? I, like a, a two year old revenue number. Right. So I'm just we're, we're just beating E now, just beating right. him. In a, in, a, in a startup in a startup world, a two year old revenue number right. for fundraising, hopefully right. not. Right. So I would just say like I, I a thirty x revenue multiple is gener- is not that crazy as well. I have. And I think it should be less. I have a lot a lot of mixed feelings about the number. Number one, it's a two year old number. Hopefully the revenue yes. is up. But, but so, then so why do we keep the I can I can almost. Privately, I assure you that 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 that, that the revenue is, is closer to double that. Okay, okay, okay. So, so he, he can't say anything more than that. But let's say it's higher than that. But the issue I have with the number is this: um, yeah. because of the kind of business they're in, they have to give a sliver of their revenue. Let's just say that revenue number is GMV to the developers. Yes. So it's not actually it's not no, actually the, the, ma- the margins are pretty. The, the margins are pretty healthy. Right when mm. you think about it. I mean, you're looking right. at 30 40 percent margins, and and they're top. Right. Their gross margins, right? Um, mm. Maybe, maybe even more self because you know now they're doing this marketplace approach, so exactly. they're able to actually do something more interesting over time. Right. You know. What uh, I mean? Okay. Uh, I'm so tempted to get okay. into the numbers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's yeah. let's talk about their product and monetization strategy, e, and then as part of that, we'll talk yeah. about how some of the numbers are linking. Just as a flag for the audience, there's a yeah. number out there, but it's hard to use the number because what are we comparing the actual number to? Okay. Be- before we even get to the, the product strategy, I just. One thing is the, with this round, with the finals, with the yeah. E round, right. yeah. it's from seven countries to thirty-seven. They're expanding to thirty-seven yes. countries across the world. Across global the world, business, exactly. um, GitHub, Cloudflare, Viacom, company, CBS. Companies changed. Company changed. Very three hundred employees. Right. The game is a different game. This is right. not a startup game. The game yeah. is very different. Right. You know yes, exactly. Yeah. So, if I were if I were a supplier to Andela, I would not um, do any discounts at all. There's no startup discount anymore. We're, we're going yeah. past that. I don't think Andela has enjoyed startup discounts for many years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, both of you, E Banky, let's come back and talk about this when I talk about the monetization strategy because there's something about the way they change their geographical focus that affects the way they monetize and the way their product is perceived. So l- let's have this conversation in the context of what I'm about to say next. Okay. I'm going to talk about product and monetization. Uh, normally in this section, we talk about a product, how the product has changed, the UX, the design. But because Andela mm-hmm. isn't really a, a pure tech company, it's not a, pu- a pure tech company, it's more of a professional services recruitment company, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the product platform, but I'm just going to spend most of the time on the recruitment strategy. Because the key thing to think about Andela is how they recruit and place um, candidates, not their their tech platform. So very quickly on the tech platform. Um, Jeremy said they haven't, <laughs> I'm laughing already saying this, they use AI to pair candidates with job postings. Oh, well, no. well, whatever bullshit. It sounds like complete bullshit, but fine. Well, whatever. Does. We do. <laughs> Everyone, it sounds, it sounds like... No, no, yeah, but, I mean, but, 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 but keep come on. in mind. <laughs> come on. They're, they're, I'm not defending the, the, the okay. thought, but there's 77,000 <laughs> developers on the platform. Right. That's pretty big, right? So, so it's very different from. You have to use some rule. So you have to use some, some rule making, some right? Must be something. I, I, yeah. I, 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 must maybe be it's not AI. Yes. I, I don't know, but 
I get, is it okay, rules based? Okay, okay. I'm, I'm so glad we have you here. The key thing I want to emphasize is it's so not, you can reduce your hate level. Yeah, your hate level can be tamped down a little my, bit. My, my hate level has gone down. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> my job is, the mo- is context. My job is. Con- I'm not supposed to calm <laughs> down your hate. It's just <laughs> the, 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 the most important thing of Mandela <laughs> is not that they're using AI to match people's. How are they recruiting people? So anyway, fine. He has said they have AI. Fine, they have AI. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go ahead. The most important part, let's talk about their actual recruitment strategy. So when Andela started, right, they focused on training entry-level software developers, right? So you're Mm -hmm. younger, you're a smart person, they'll train you for six-ish months in their fellowship, right? After six-ish months, they'll place you in other companies, and then Adela takes a cut of the, the revenue for placing in the company. So the business model is pretty simple. Get younger people, train them, help them find jobs, and then take a cut by the client when the client is using the employees. Very simple. However, they've modified their initial strategy a little bit over time, which is what Bank Holding and E were alluding to. What has changed? In 2019, they changed their focus to more mid-level to senior-level developers, right? So a little bit different than just younger people. Why? They said based on clients' demands and market forces. First big change. Yeah. Second mm-hmm. big change is... They pivoted a little bit after COVID. Because of COVID, before COVID, they were focused on, we have all these hubs in African countries, Nigeria, Kenya, so on and so forth. Now they're quote unquote global, which means they don't really have offices and they're not really as focused on Africa anymore. So the second focus, the second pivot is much more of, they get applicants from anywhere in the world, right? Not just from Africa. And those applicants may, may or may not be younger. So to, to summarize the way Andela has become, when you think about the way Andela is now, the way I would phrase it is, Andela previously was um, help recruit young software developers in Africa, help them find jobs. Andela right now, the new tagline is yeah. we recruit software developers from anywhere in the world and we help them get a job. So I think the key thing to take away is less of an Africa-centric company and more of an emerging market-centric company. So it's a little bit different. Um, Banky E, what, what are your thoughts on what I'm saying? Am I making sense or do you disagree with my uh, articulation of where the company is heading towards? Yeah, I think I don't disagree. I think it's very clear that the idea is, you know, talent is 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 now the focus. So Correct. we're going to just identify the talent and place them. Um, but but it's helpful to think about the history and the impact of the company getting to that right. point and why and why right. they got to that point. And I'm sure there will be mm. some time to discuss what yeah, happened of course. there, right? Of course. Yeah. It's also strange that one thing is that there there seems to be. Like this move by Andela to go away from, to fire the junior engineers, basically, mm-hmm. um, sort of implies that there's a glut of junior engineers in the market and a lack or a dearth of senior engineers mm-hmm. in the market, both in Nigeria, both domestic and international. So mm-hmm. both for domestic and international clients as well. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason for that is not enough places like Andela for junior engineers to become senior engineers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of junior engineers. There's not a lot of experience available right. for somebody to have shipped production scale, mm. you know, 100 million transaction a second, you know, systems mm. to work on that. Because I think one people realize there's with software engineering, there's writing code, right? Yes. right. Yes. Which anybody can do. There's writing production code, <laughs> yes. which fewer, fewer <laughs> people can do. Right. <laughs> there's writing production code at scale, right? Right. Which is a completely different skill set. So you find a lot of people who like can write code. Like mm. if you build a website, if you build your own front end, you can write code. You can write code to do many different things, one Python scripts to automate different parts of your life. Right. That's fine. But writing code with reliability requirements that requires to be up or available globally or whatever yes. to design those systems, that's very hard enough. But to design something that works at Google and Della scale for right. 7,000 7, developers 
or flutter wave skill or whatever it is, mm. is a completely different skill set that is almost unrelated. It's basically the equivalent of putting a plaster or becoming a, or becoming a, a medical doctor or a surgeon. Yeah. It's just like, it's like both are first aid, but not in the same sense. Correct. Um, Correct. And um, two other things happened around this time. I just want to spend a little bit of time on. When Banky were going through the yeah. different fundraising, raising money, going up, going up and to the right, then Della's story is not just up to the right. They faced some bumps along the road and some of the bumps they've, they face. I'm going to talk about it as part of their product strategy. So a couple of bumps. Let's start with 20. In fact, okay, first of all, let me give a high level summary of some of the issues they face. The summary is between middle of 2019 and the middle of 2020, they went through what I'm going to just call an adjustment phase, right? And the adjustment phase okay. was reducing their workforce based on market demands and COVID, right? So the first change is 2019, September, they had 400 to 429 layoffs. And the layoffs, like we just said, were focused on the, the junior engineers to get more senior. So that was just a market demand change. Fine. The second change is 2020 February. They had a voluntary exit program. So it looks like it's a continuation. Basically, you can voluntarily quit if you fit some criteria. Also focus on less experienced engineers. So I would just bucket these two layoffs as the same. 2020 May, though, a little bit different. This is now a COVID impact. Because of COVID, they also they let go about around 10% of their staff. So around yeah. 130 people out of the 1,200. So even though we're, wow. we're combining all these things, 10% reduction is quite massive. If you count the other layoffs, it's around 20, 25 total percent percent reduction. It's also it's also funny if you're an employee in these companies and you get laid off and you hear that they raised two hundred million dollars three months after. Yeah, <laughs> or raised, like it, it well, can be that, easy that, as an employee. It's tough, but like it's like I think at the end of the day, it was like a it was probably like a business model change that was good for everyone because you see what yeah. happened was I think a lot of those people who were quote unquote uh, laid off uh, actually ended mm-hmm. up. Um, being put on contracts with the firm. I think the problem was there was a growing bench and they were responsible for the bench. So it was necessary for... I wasn't at the company then, so I can't really tell you what happened. What I read from the outside and from knowing what what happened inside was like, it was a growing bench. Um, They didn't quite have any any, um, alternative, right? The jobs... People wanted senior developers and the bench was an opportunity cost of hiring a senior developer who the customer really wanted. Yeah, it makes sense. Oh, and by the way, we forgot to emphasize this, but in between the 2015 June round and the 2016 June round, so he left the company. So right now, when three of us are talking, he's just doing his best to guess. He was no longer at the company. He left the company five years ago. So like he just said, we're all trying to figure out what was going on, but none of us have any inside tracks to this. So no one should quote E on this. (laughs) He left the company. He's just trying to say what happened. Okay. He left the company to do Flutterwave, which is (laughs) another episode. Episode 18, Um, Operability. You should go listen to that. Okay. It's funny we've gone this far. We haven't yet talked about monetization strategy. I'm going to talk about monetization now. And the reason why we left monetization towards the end of the podcast is it's not the most important part of the business, but it is critical. Uh, So how does Andela make money? Very, very simple. They charge businesses a fee for connecting them with software development talent, right? Simple. However, if you think we're just going to give you the amounts they collect, we're not because it's actually quite difficult and it's quite variable. So this is what Jeremy Johnson said. I'm going to quote him, right? Here's what he said about it. The way it works, he's talking about the monetization. The way it works is companies pay us for an amount based on the resources consumed. It's based on a combination of number of engineers, the stack the engineers are on, the level of seniority, so it varies a lot. So basically, there is no real way to figure out how much they take. However, TechAbal, our friends at TechAbal, shout out TechAbal.com, uh, they estimated that Andela got between fifty dollars to $120,000 per developer, and then they paid 33% of that to the developer, which meant Andela kept around 60 to 70% of the total. Now, this is TechAbal, mm-hmm. not me, but I yeah. guess this, this is sort of what uh, E was saying earlier, that they may have higher higher margins than expected. So that's a monetization strategy. Very, very simple. 
Um, mm-hmm. Some people may be a little bit upset. You're like, oh, wait, uh, why is Andela paying uh, 33% of that to the developer? I did a bunch of stats to compare across professional services industries. This uh, percentage is actually not that different from, um, let's say, Ernst & Young accounting, KPMG, yeah. McKinsey Bank. So it's fine. Um, but I understand why some people are upset by it. They may not understand the dynamics of running this type of business. So that is the product of monetization strategy. Any thoughts before we talk about competition? It's also very, like, there are many, as we get into competition, you see there are many other companies that do, that are just tweaking the same model. Yeah. I also find that the reason why the pricing has to be obfuscated, like, it's think of it as cable companies or a phone plan in the U.S., which is, I remember when I moved to the U.S., where many phone companies pitch their phone plans by saying, you know, you know, have know your bill up front. I'm right. like, what do you mean know my bill up front? Yeah. You're saying it there. And like, yeah. but there's a lot of obfuscation on the pricing that gives them flexibility to change the pricing at any point 100%, in time. 100%. In fact, Bank we shouldn't even use the word obfuscation. We shouldn't even use the word obfuscation. It's just business because it's such a wide range. Like it's based yeah. on the seniority. It's based on the yeah. stack. It's based, it's based yeah. on so many different factors. Are they going to give you a range that, oh, we charge between 10,000 and 200,000? The range is so wide banking, right? Yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not as transparent. It's a bit more complex than that. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I and 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 it allows them some margin to play with. Also for long term business to give volume discounts. It's great business. I mean, it's great business to do that. I'm yeah. not saying it's yeah. And if 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 <laughs> especially if it's B two B, yeah, B two B kind of. It's never really like it's never. It's not like buying a phone plan, which is fine. Right. It's more like you sit in a meeting and you talk big numbers because it's right. six figure US. You know, even at a smaller scale. Right. 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 Or oh, multiple millions of dollars for each negotiation because it right. didn't seem like it was a lot of clients as well. Right. Okay. Competition. Um, competition. Let me talk about competition and, and, and options. So I said this earlier, I think of competition as how you define the job that Andela does. I think the job that Andela does is, you know, for a user, for a person, for a business who requires a software, software engineering output or software engineers, Andela connects them to those software engineers mm-hmm. for a fee mm-hmm. and charges a fee and yes. the pricing. Yes. They're, the business model is sort of neither here nor there because as, as I go through this, some of them pay like Andela, pay mm-hmm. the trainers, the trainees that are training while training them. Some of them receive a fee to be trained. Ah. Um, some of them create a school and then place you and do an income share agreement. Ah. Andela, you know, um, so it's it's wildly different models that perform the same kind of thing. Okay. Some of them are just like a good chunk of the business is just recruitment agencies. Like right. EcoBank goes to them and says, I need... 20 software engineers, like, okay, give me, give me, give me some time. I'll get back to ah, you. Okay, but, but, and they but provide but, them for a fee. Buckley, a question. Yeah. Before you dive into the details of competition, is it fair to say yeah. that most of the competition is because of Andela's success and people are trying to emulate and do that? Or is it that most mm. of these things were happening before they would have existed anyway? How, what's the high level message for me to understand the competition? I, I think it's market. I, I, as mo- Andela's success has validated the opportunity of the, of, of course, and that definitely contributes to it. Mm. But as companies fundraise, I remember talking to one of these companies a year ago or so and it was basically like look everybody in Africa Tech is raising a lot of money <laughs> I guarantee you they can't find engineers to build the stuff to get them to the next milestone okay, that's fine right? that's a lot of the problem that's so I, I think th- what what has happened what I've noticed in the past year is demand has shifted to shifted from purely international startups to even local startups oh, and businesses because if an Nigerian bank A is trying to integrate with uh, Flutter Wave or whatever, or maintain right. uh, an API, they're going to need businesses. And 
if you're an engineer, why would you work for GT Bank when you could work for Flutterwave for more money? Bankruptcy, you just blew, blew my mind. Because you know what I was thinking as you were talking? Basically, yeah. remember when we started, we we're like, there are all these three different forces. Those forces were mostly focused on developed countries like US and Europe. But now those forces yeah. are happening in Africa and Nigeria as well. Yeah. So all these startups, like yeah. you're saying, they need engineers too. Who's going to do yeah. the Andela for, for, for Africa? Who's, who's, who's going to build Mono, Okra, exactly, exactly. One Pipe? Who's gonna, those are purely technical API businesses right. that, that, that need... Not just entry level engineers to build <laughs> highly reliable, scalable uptime with financial information. They need super senior engineers right. who can work for GitHub remotely or GitLab remotely okay. and yeah. make two hundred thousand dollars. So that, that I think that's what's driving all this compet- competition. Because I got it. It's just super global. Um, like personally, I've I've also found. Before I get into computers, just last panel. Sorry, I have friends from school from B school who's raising money. Reach out to me like, hey, um, trying to hire some engineers. I'm trying to figure something out. Like, I'm like. That's that's more. I'm having more of those kind of conversations now, which yeah. is very strange to me. Because yeah. oh, you're Nigerian. Okay. Can you get me some engineers? I, I love. I love fact this works. They're reaching out to you. they're like, oh, we want some Facebook engineers. I'm like, no, no, you need to start before that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, no, not not engineers from your job. I mean, engineers from your country. Okay. <laughs> okay, competition. Let's competition. So I'll, I'll get a couple. So one is first is Talent QL. Yes. Um, they raised three hundred k pre-seed. They're yeah. very good PR. Mm, um, what's interesting here is they're focused on local and international clients and they're trying to do at least the narrative they sell, we'll, the we'll telling and selling. What's a local international clients? That's those local and international and, clients. Okay, okay, sorry. Okay, I oh, Local that. and international okay. clients. No, no, no. What, what, so they're, and they're trying to handle the whole value chain, which is what, they're the ones that made me think about this, where um, you can pay, you pay to join, they can finance your membership to join right. and then do an income share agreement. Right. Um, if you're a local company and you need, you need on a project basis or on a remote hire, full hire basis, right. they can facilitate that, that as well. So yeah. the question is usually some version of, I need engineers. I go to Talent QL, for example, to to get to get some engineers. I thought that was I, I love it. Okay, so the reason well. I, I love Talent QL, l- l- let me riff on them for a second. Basically, <laughs> if you're in America, they're just like Lambda School. I feel like the way they set up the incentives are more aligned because as a person. Okay, so how does how does education typically work, right? So education works where you pay up front. Let's say you pay hundred k, hundred thousand dollars, and then hopefully over your lifetime you get jobs, and those jobs give you salaries that are higher than hundred thousand you paid, right? Simple math, right? Yeah. But with yeah. Lambda School and with uh, ISAs, income sharing agreements, is that the company, the educational institution, only gets paid when you get a job. So the great thing yeah. about Talent QL is like you can do it mostly for free. I say mostly because it's not really for free, but you can do it basically for free. And then you only pay them back, they, Talent QL, when you get a job that's going to pay you. So I love it. Now, obviously, there are a few issues yeah. with that. But at a very, very high level, I love the way it's set up. And I hope more companies come like that because, number one, people don't have that much money in African countries, right? So it makes sense for them to do this. And then number yeah. two, it just makes more sense because incentives are now aligned such that both parties benefit yeah. when you get a job. So anyway, we don't want to spend too much time on telling QL. Today is about Andela, but I, I love I love that business model. Yeah, I, and and it's what I find most impressive about it is the broadest definition of the problem. That's mm. what I like. I like it's a broad definition of the problem versus mm-hmm. oh, we train people for engineering jobs. No, 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 no. We get engineers jobs. Yes. Some of the engineers we create ourselves. Some of them come to us fully formed. Mm-hmm. But if you're an engineer, we want to be the place that you go to up level your career, right? Mm-hmm. Financially and otherwise. I yeah. That was an interesting yeah. thesis. Yeah. Um, there's one called Gebeya. Gebeya? Gebeya? Yeah, this is terrible. Yeah, I know. Please, this happens all the please time. Please be kind. Please be kind in the emails you sent to me e- when e- I e- get Email Ian e- at afrobilly.com if you don't like what? the conversation. E- yeah, it's going to bounce back. <laughs> exactly. This is Ian e- speaking. 
So they've they've raised they've raised two million dollars seed, which is even very recent. Mm-hmm. And but this one is the, then the candidates pay with um with a path to employment or entrepreneurship as well. What does that mean? They pay and then so it's just like normal school then. You just pay. Yeah, you pay for school and they get you a job within twelve months or they pay you. Basically. Oh, they, if you don't have a job that at least pays back a tuition fees, they pay you. They, Never. they, they, they give you a refund of what you paid. <laughs> What you paid. Well, yeah. But you know, the thing you is, know, they don't know what kind of job you're going to get. You can get any job. No, they're going to give you, you know, I'm sure the details matter in something like this, right? So I'm matter. not even claiming that this works. The details matter. Like, what do you mean if you don't get at least your tuition back? You mean get it right now? You mean so, get it in two so, years? But, but, but Banky, uh, so E, a question for you. What do you think about these alternative models where um, sometimes the students don't have the to pay until pay. they get a job or sometimes they pay? Income sharing. Yeah, ISAs. What, ISAs. what are your thoughts on it? Right. I think they are more transparent. Like if I was if I was building um, Andela's training department today, that would have been my model. Because ah. I think that what we did, what we did then, and what made it not work as well was we tried to take responsibility for. We tried to meld the training and the placement in the same program, mm. so that put a lot of pressure on us. If we had just done the training and said, "Hey," You're somewhat like you can work for a local company or there are other things you can do yeah. until you become senior enough to come to our platform. I think that would have been better. I see. Interesting. So that was a major very strong pipeline. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a major difference. I think we tried to do something similar, but we did it for free with the Andela Learning Community, where mm-hmm. we kind of built mm-hmm. this platform where people could come and learn how to code and all that. Right. Or virtually without the cost because you see one of the biggest challenges andela had historically was that it, it always had limited space so mm-hmm. it was sharing its limited space with those who were training and not earning any anything with and those who mm. were working limited physical work. space limited physical, office space physical right? space physical space yeah. so without the the facilities to do maybe train five thousand people they couldn't really mm. take on that kind of burden you understand what uh-huh. i'm saying wow yes Oh, okay. And, they could, the, the engineers could not become senior or even learn to be junior fast enough for the clients, basically. Hence, you have yeah. to just get rid and go go find them from somewhere else. It's what makes sense. That makes a lot yeah, of sense. And exactly. then, like shrink the funnel. And then one more question. So as Mankoli is about to go to all these different competitors in this space, uh, are there any companies that you feel like don't yet exist that you would like to see exist that cover this recruitment, job placement, whatever we call this category? Are there any, is there any... um? Any things you still want to see happen that don't yet exist? Um, so I think, you know, the truth of the matter is the content and the training mm-hmm. um, are pretty settled matters at this point, to be very honest. I don't think you're <laughs> going to get far from there. Do you right. understand? Right. Um, but the, the, the problem is access is still tough. So people don't mm. have laptops to access. Yeah. People don't have... I don't know if you get what I'm trying to say. I do, I do. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's the stack. Yes. Yes. People don't have access. People Insane. don't have internet. And I yes. feel like by now, you know, we should be doubly, doubling down. Kind of think about it as like a pilot. Right. So we've done a yeah. pilot. We know that this thing can work. One would have thought that some either government or private individuals will come together and double uh-huh. down. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. No, you can't say ah. Uh, don't, don't get me started. On, on this podcast, I'm a government <laughs> hater. So if, if you get me started, me, I'm going to rant think, on the government. So. No, no. I, so for me, I don't even think it's about government alone. Government is useless. Mm-hmm. We know. There's no of course, of course. We, we know that. <laughs> no we know that. So that. tell us something. Tell us something new. 
<laughs> what I'm saying is that I think private enterprise should be able to step in, okay, in, a, in an ideal world to say, okay, look, guys, what kind of, yeah, you're yeah. saying, yeah, 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 I was gonna say, what, what kind of, what kind of model makes sense? So I, I the access so, point is a great one because yeah. the problem is like when I was in uni, like how many people around me had laptops, right. all of that stuff. So right. forget even coding, even though they can watch it on YouTube or whatever. Right. You have, but how do you manage something like that? Is it public libraries or computers? Is it like, how do you, what do you build to? to solve that problem for people that are even further away from earning. Because even if I had a laptop right now and yeah. I'm 19 in Lagos, I have to go to a bootcamp for 12 months and then become a junior engineer mm-hmm. that is only knows front-end on no, JavaScript you know, that is no fun. Yeah. No, but you see, yeah. with a laptop, you can learn anything online, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Except so, that you need a laptop and fast internet. So even that needs yeah, to be yeah. things. That's, all. Yeah. that's what I'm saying. I'm saying if, if it was me, um, if I had the resources... And maybe I will still do it because that's how I ah, think about it. Hell yeah, we're, we're with you. We'll be your partners. Don't don't forget you got yeah. the idea on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so, can we create open spaces in every university? We can loan you a laptop and give you internet so you can learn. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know the best, the best, the most like technical. Um, in university, we had this computer room. You know, like mm. I don't know if it's still there. We had a computer room, which had two computers. I remember my, my friend's mom bought one of the computers herself. We had two <laughs> desktop computers for the Faculty of Electrical Engineering. I'm going to just shame my school, wow. just point blank. Wow, had two computers. Just but the cool part about that is the computer lab was where we hung out when you had air conditioning. A few places of air conditioning, mm-hmm. but also we um, we would get movies and music. It was just store stuff there and show up there with hard drives, mm. but where people would learn to do stuff. So right. I, I definitely. Think there's opportunity in that model. Um, yeah, yeah. Like just like a like a library where you can in in the US in many US public libraries you can loan a laptop and MiFi um, for weeks or months and then it's like what would it take to replicate such a model uh, with incentives to learn around that? Yeah, if you're working on this, email us info at If you're working on energy infrastructure, internet infrastructure, educational energy infrastructure, just anything linked to those areas education plus energy plus internet just let us know i'd love to talk to entrepreneurs in this area okay so bank it up sorry we, okay. we took you off topic okay. we're talking about competition uh, yeah, it's, cool. it's, cool. it's great no it's all topic all topic <laughs> on topic okay okay so the 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 there's there's a couple more there's decagon yes which is decagon. one and a half million dollars seed 25 million dollars debt which was interesting yes um because they have a paid program and you pay tuition for six months yes um Four thousand dollars, which was very interesting. <laughs> or two, well, not not four thousand dollars anymore. It's yeah. two million naira, right. um, and they do some financing for that as well. Right. What I find most interesting is the fact that they took a twenty-five million dollar debt facility. Like these guys are not the, They are basically out here saying we are trying to spend that on upfront spending for to finance a lot of these contracts so that we can get. Um, and we believe we can finance the payments yes. on, on a payment so big that that was very interesting. Yeah. Both. I, I, I saw, apart from the, the pieces you mentioned, it's a little bit similar to Andela's uh, model in that like six-month training, then they place them. Yeah. The you know, to be honest, I don't, scaling... I don't know that that's, sorry to interrupt, but I don't know that mm. that six-month training thing is now Bible, right? Mm. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Like the, Yes. Six-month six, six six month training is, is not a Bible. I don't know if you get what I'm trying to say. I understand what you mean. I think it can take less time with mm-hmm. more resources. 
hundred percent. In fact, e, um, as we spoke earlier about their product and monetization strategy, because they're not focused on mid and senior level engineers, the six month fellowship slash training, whatever you want to call it, has been dwindling and reducing. Because if you're already senior, right, you, you don't you don't need the, the training or fellowship anymore. That was much more linked yeah. to their initial strategy with younger engineers, because younger engineers need to be trained, obviously. So it's, everything is shifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's also yeah that's Decagon. Just running through it. There's one more. Semicolon, which I interest want to talk about. They just raised $1.2 million. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out to my friend yeah. Sam Emanuel. Love that guy. Yeah. Sam, yeah. keep, yeah. keep him out yeah. of the park. I'm a fan. I, I know the CEO. No, yeah. One of the interesting things that, that that here is basically setting it up as a pipeline um, right. for entrepreneurship as well, which is yes. interesting. It, it, um, it is. It is. Basically, so I'm going to try to quote Sam. Sam, if you listen to this and I misquote you, don't be mad. Basically, there are two exit points. You can either exit to a company right? And find a job, work with the company, or you can exit and just be an entrepreneur. So the way they think about it is not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. They just want to join a company. Not everyone wants to join a company. So I guess it makes sense. Uh, the key thing is just like, how do you train people to go across both paths as exit points? Because the training for someone working at a company is different than training for an entrepreneur, unless you believe there's a lot of overlapping skill sets. But I'm a fan because the CEO is my friend. So biased. Yeah. It's also, it's also but it's a one-year program, at least as, as advertised. Um, and we'll see what people can learn and do and achieve to like build product in one year. Yeah. Um, but TBD, very early, very early, all of this. The, 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 um, as we were going through the industry stuff at the beginning is like, I feel like the size of the problem in Africa can absorb two, three and Dallas, right? Of course, of course. Right? It's just, it's just very strange. Um, given the population, the median ages across Nigeria and South Africa, we should just have way more. 100%. companies like this. And, and in, fact, in fact, it's because you don't even have to copy Andela. You can do a slightly different business model. Who pays? Yeah. By the way, Francophone Africa, please, who's doing this in Francophone Africa? If you're doing this, email me, olimdafrabili.com. I want to learn more about this. Yes. I was doing a bunch of research. I was surprised by what's going on. Maybe it's because I don't speak French. There right? used to be, there used to be um, a company in, in Francophone Africa called EDC, which mm. used to do it. I don't know mm -hmm. if they're still operating in Francophone Africa, but I know there was one. And there's quite mm -hmm. a number of things going on in Senegal. So you, mm. should, you should probably take some time and um, check them yeah. out. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. hundred percent. Because yeah. it, it was hard to find the ones who were raising a bunch of money, either because they're early, they have not yet raised money, or because I don't speak yeah. French. I, I'm not using the right websites, but I'm curious to see what's going on there. I feel like after doing so many episodes, Banky and E, we always give a short, uh, we always shortchange Francophone Africa, but there are a lot of exciting things going on. So something for us to keep our eye on. Yeah. Okay. Exits? Should we talk about potential exits? How they could exit? This yeah, part is my, I, my favorite I, part of the podcast. I, I feel like it has to be an I, IPO. <laughs> it has to be an IPO. No, no one can buy, like Adela, can buy it. I feel like also, it. also, it's not worth that much more to anybody else. So we have to buy it, sell it to everybody in a public market. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's not worth that much to one individual <laughs> who person. Said, who said? You know, let me tell you something. Yeah? <laughs> tell me, tell me, my brother. As companies like Facebook, as right. companies like Google, <laughs> are studying this mad scramble okay, for technical cool. talent, yes. right? Mm -hmm. right? At some point, it's going to make sense for them to just do an acquire. So Amazon Amazon had this program mm -hmm. for a long time, actually, very impressive. So Amazon has 1.2 million, 1.3 million employees in the US. A lot of people. And they started this program called an Amazon Technical Academy for anybody in the company while keeping your current job and your current pay to quit your job get trained by Amazon to be a software engineer on Amazon's <laughs> internal tech stack and then switch to the software engineering That's track. funny, that's funny. It's an ongoing, pro ongoing program at Amazon today. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people do that, by the way. So imagine this happens for anybody, mostly blue, blue um, 
the, the, the Amazon term is blue badge. Mostly permanent workers mm-hmm. work in head office. So anybody in program management and sales can just be like, hey, I want to sign up for this ETA thing. Right. I have some background. I take a bunch of Amazon classes, Amazon people. I learn the Amazon tech stack. You right. learn how to you know, CICD the Amazon way. Right. And then you get a job at Amazon right yeah. after. You immediately switch to become a software. The reason why like, well, I, I don't... No risk. The reason why I, yeah, I don't agree with your perspective is because I think you're right that the big tech companies need a lot of talent, 100%. I think you're also right that they may start to take more and more aggressive stances to get talents. The issue with them buying Andela is that most of Andela's value is because it's connected to so many clients. So if you, if you buy it and you take it in-house, and let's say you only use them as a pipeline to your own company, you destroy all the value for all the other clients. So unless they buy it and they keep it working for other clients, it defeats the purpose. So it's going to be too expensive for the value because most of the value is clients that are not your own company, right? So how would you balance paying, like, it's worth, it's worth 1.5. So to, to buy, you need to pay two, three, four billion. Let's say you pay three billion, but then you, you destroy all the 200 clients. It was a destruction of value. So I'm not sure. But but E, do you have a different perspective on the exits? I think I think um, I think at the end of the day, you know, when you look at a program like Candela, you're giving a lot of very smart technical people key skills, right? Correct. So and and as Africa becomes a more valuable part of the global labor economics for the reasons that I mentioned, yeah. Um, and we're looking for all these developers from somewhere. I think over time there might be a world where somebody will. This is not to even say I think they will IPO. But I'm just saying mm-hmm. that beyond <laughs> yeah. the IPO. Yeah. Um, that there, there are probably other exit options that we may not be considering. Mm. L- let's even say, you know, I don't think that 20 or 30 billion is a big price for a, a major technology company that has a trillion dollars in market cap to pay to have a thousand person office in Nigeria. And right now, um, Andela offers you the best option for doing so. Interesting. Interesting. I, I can't wait. Yeah. You're right. Yes. It's, you're right. Because you're th- we're, we're thinking of it as, I would probably not go that high, but you're, we're thinking of it <laughs> I definitely as wouldn't go that business, high either. <laughs> but we're thinking of it as, but you're thinking of it as by the people. Like, I don't even care. Like, if Facebook is like, if $2 billion gets me like 3,000 engineers, it's up Saharan Africa at Hub, right. where yeah. I can like move Messenger and build WhatsApp out of here all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. It's a completely different calculus. Yeah. And it's yeah. totally worth it at that price if you're Facebook, Google, Netflix, whatever. But by the way, can get th- this is for the whole... The by the way, again, keep in mind, this is the whole world. And Della is yes. no longer an African yeah. company. Yes. So if I buy yeah. a company, mm-hmm. right, that can give me en- access to engineers all over the world at a time of engineering crunch, I yes. mean, it's worth, it's worth $30 billion. I can't wait to, to see how this. Hmm. Okay, okay. So, so let's see. Talk your book. Talk your book. <laughs> talk your portfolio. If you're let's do this. And you don't like it? Email <laughs> e at afrobilly.com. Email e. I'm just saying. E, I don't e, know. Talking up his portfolio. I'm just going to share this to like Subbank Vision Fund three. Okay. 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 I'm, I'm, back sure, I'm sure they'll go public and make a lot of money because they already make a lot I of think money. So. But I, I, think, I so. think that's actually. And you know, if you look at there was a company in Argentina. I forget their name. That actually um, is is like the gold, the gold standard for software outsourcing. Let me even see. Really? Um, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. And they're a public company. Right. Um, they're based out of Argentina. They're very, very, very uh, public public company. I'm I'm looking on Google. <laughs> okay. So so, so, so while he's looking that up, it would be interesting if. That company, the E Finds, acquires Major. exactly yeah. acquires them because I was thinking yeah, yeah, that yeah. as well. Yeah, the, the only issue, and maybe you will prove us wrong, is I couldn't find any company that does something similar to Andela that has a market cap big enough to afford them because they're already so, so big. But let's no, see. no, let's no, you're looking time. in the wrong places. Um, check oh, out Adeco. Check mm. out Adeco. 
check right. out. Um, I mean, to be honest, Repro is Repro is, is Indian. Okay, okay, but, but okay, but, 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 but e, e, you should know for, for the audience, he's cheating a little bit, right? Coming like a deco places for every possible job, not software developers. So, so, I so I, we have to, yeah, East point is we have to think about companies that can afford them will probably do something broader than what they yes, do, which is your point, course, which is correct. I can't wait to see how this evolves. I think I based on the type of investors they have, based on their market cap, I think they're much more likely to have an IPO. But e, you're right, that maybe, who knows, there's always a surprise in tech. Maybe someone will buy them. It's just it's going to be so expensive. You have to pay, for sure. A lot of people want their money. Ah, uh, the people that came in early. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you might find that the revenue multiples are not that fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You understand? We'll see. Hmm. Uh, oh, oh you, you, mean, you mean even though the valuation seems high, the revenue is also high enough to match? That's what you mean? Or you mean something different? Yes. Okay, yes, 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 yes. yes. yes, yes. I, I'm, that, so like, if it's a corporate transaction, if it's a corporate transaction, I think the revenues can pay for the acquisition plus a premium. So don't don't think about it purely as um, as like a pure, like this is too much. You know what I mean? Like It, it, it actually makes money. If you listen to this podcast and you work for Adeco, mm. Tata, Wipro, email us, info.fabili.com. We can do M&A yes, we'll advisory work yes. for you. We'll take a we small fee. Small <laughs> fee on a $3 billion <laughs> transaction exactly. amount. Or if you believe in $30 billion. <laughs> Okay, okay. So should we close, yeah. should we close Banky? Uh, our this summaries? is a super, yeah, this is a super fascinating story. I, I definitely thought a lot. Like my, my takeaway is that the market can absorb multiple versions of the same company. Um, but yeah. We should, okay. we should definitely wrap. Okay, we'll so, 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 so e, e, we're, we're going to wrap this part of the podcast and we just give our overall view on the company. So who wants to go first, second, third? E, do, do you want to kick us off or you want to go last with your summary and the overall view? No, you let me go last because I want to hear Okay, you go last. Okay, okay. The bank, you want me okay. to go first or you want to go? Um, You know what? Let me go first. Okay, okay. Go I, first. I'll go first. I love, oh, we're such gentlemen. You go, you go, I'll go. Okay, so uh, my, my summary has... One, two, three, four different sections. My summary piece yeah. is a bit long, so E, feel free to interrupt. Banky, feel free to interrupt. So four sections. First yeah. section is the entrepreneur story. Second piece is the bear case for Andela. Third piece is the bull case for Andela. And the last part is Andela's ecosystem impact. So let's go through them one at a time. So entrepreneurs, this part is easy here, so I'm going to be a bit biased. So I'm going to focus the entrepreneur part on Jeremy Johnson. So shout out to Jeremy. I feel like he's been riding this wave since 2014. Because on one hand, I'm so grateful to all the different founders. So E's here, Jeremy's here, uh, Nad, uh, Ian, uh, Bryce, Christina. They've all done a great job. But I just want to highlight Jeremy because Jeremy is basically the last uh, founder at this point. Because E is now doing, <laughs> Christina's yeah. on the board. She's sort of out. Ian is doing VC. Uh, Nad, our friend, is doing Eden Life. So he's the last founding, um, last founding founder. So I just want to thank him for all the stuff he's done. I feel like Andela started off as a rocket ship. They hit a few bumps. They hit some turbulence. They went down a bit. They had to do some layoffs, some readjustments. But he's been there. And with this new COVID wave, COVID has really been a, a, big, a big benefit yeah. to uh, Andela. I'm just, I just want to thank him for like riding the company and continuing to be there and last long enough to get this COVID thing. Because I feel like sometimes entrepreneurship, people just tell a story. Oh, it's positive. It's all good. It's actually not that good. But because of COVID, they have a second chance to actually do something. So shout out to, to Jeremy for riding the wave and shout out to the rest of the founders who were there from the start. Um, another thing I wanted to say is I feel like Andela is the most mission-driven company we've ever covered on the podcast. Banky, E? For, yeah. for a lot of companies, <laughs> like I've done, I've done 40 episodes. I've done maybe 100 hours of Africa tech companies. I've never seen companies where like, oh, this is happening for the people. This is happening for greenhouse gases. This is happening yeah. for the future, the children. So it's like, yeah, it's it's a bit soft to be, under, to, to be frank, but I love the fact, I said this at the beginning of the podcast, 
to motivate people, to lead people, to guide them. You need them to believe in something greater than just money and funds. You need a mission. So I understand Dell has done that very, very well. So my hat's off to them. Um, yeah, the founder rule has been pretty uh, emotional and, and Dell has no exception to that. So thank you for the founding team for putting this together, uh, especially Jeremy for writing the week. Okay, bear case, bear case for Andela. <laughs> this is funny. Um, the bear case for Andela is what I said about the mission stuff. Andela is part fact, part story. And basically things can only go bad. Things can go bad for Andela if the story starts to unravel. And they start to face a bunch of media, promo, tech backlash. Basically, PR stuff, to me, is the biggest bear case for them. Um, and then another bear case is staffing agencies are now... Everyone is trying to take advantage of COVID, right? So a bunch of staffing agencies are trying to do what uh, Andela is doing. And they're already global. Andela just became global last year. So those are the two pieces of the bear case for me. PR story, media story going wrong. And then other staffing recruitment agencies taking the prize and becoming bigger than them. Any thoughts so is that so is that is that when they go it's like you're saying that going global they're going to go and meet a deco in exactly. France basically exactly <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. we them in front that, that's it that's have you guys ever heard the Nigerian phrase local champion global champion when you're the local champion you're playing oh I'm the best in my school I'm the best in my school and then you go to face other schools you're now the it's, worst my my favorite proverb my favorite proverb is the man that doesn't travel that thinks that his father's farm is the biggest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, and then, and then the last two parts of my summary are the bull case and then Andela's legacy. So the bull case, the positive case, very simple, is basically Andela's the nexus of a bunch of positive trends. Three trends I said at the start of the podcast, booming population, high birth rate in Africa, high unemployment for the youth in a lot of emerging countries, and then increased global need for software engineers. Plus, since 2014, when they launched, they now have two additional trends in their favor. First one is COVID is pushing a bunch of companies to be more remote. And the second trend is, we didn't even mention this, but a lot of companies are now trying to be more diverse, right? And of course, because Andela is in quote-unquote emerging countries, almost all the software engineers Andela has tend to be more diverse candidates. So they now have five massive trends all in their favor. And the bull case is they continue to ride those trends push further, and then hopefully get an IPO or a sellout in a few years. So the bull case is great. Um, one thing I'll emphasize about the bull case is it's not going to be like Paystack, where you could clearly see Paystack's bull case benefited all the Africans in the ecosystem. Andela's bull case is going to have a much more uh, dispersed impact because some of the founders are from outside of Africa, some of the investors are from outside of Africa. So it's going to be like Paystack, except the benefits of the ecosystem are going to be much more dispersed outside of Africa as well. So it's a little bit different than the Paystack one. And then the, the last piece of my summary, easy, Andela's legacy. Um, normally in, the, in these podcasts, I don't actually talk about companies' legacies because like all the companies are so young, right? What legacy do they have? The weird thing to me about Andela is even though Andela hasn't yet exited, their legacy is already deep in the ecosystem. I found I found this quote from uh, Idris. Idris, for the audience, Idris is a, is a famous investor in African circles. He's part of Lofty Inc., part of Afropreneur. He had this quote, and I'm going to read this. The quote is just insane. He said, I started asking my Andela people to see if they knew any Andela alumni, right? And mm-hmm. who had gone to start other tech startups. He said, surprise, surprise, they came up with a list of 50, 5-0 Andela alumni that has gone to be founding members of other leading startups in Africa. I was like, oh my God, 50 alums in just eight years. So, the, I mean, without going on too long, so Ian, Dan, colleague can give their summaries. Just the legacy of the company is unbelievable. It's almost like three years ago, Andela was the first company you thought about when you thought about Africa tech. So just the legacy they've left behind, um, training other people and putting Africa on the map. I'm very, very grateful for all the stuff they've done. I'm also very happy that COVID ended up being a lucky revival for them because without COVID, I could see they they started to face a lot of challenges that would have gone the opposite direction. So overall, great company, amazing impact on the ecosystem. Very grateful that they have a second chance with COVID and I wish them the best. Hopefully they can exit. That is my summary. Yeah. 
I'm a big fan. That's a good summary. I'm a big. I'm a. I think it's like you're right. Andela was the poster child for correct. Like everything that got every time Andela had some bad news, it was like you see exactly. this Africa Tech companies can't be raising twenty four million dollars. Exactly. I told you it's not worth twenty four million dollars. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and now, and now there's lots of people. Now it's like, yeah, whatever. If you don't like it, <laughs> you know, then it was like, Flutter yeah, chipper stuff. If you don't like chipper cash, do we have another one? <laughs> yeah, another one. There, there are many of them to annoy you if you're annoyed by tech. Right. But then it was Andela just absorbing all the heat, everything bad in tech and the ecosystem. Right. Um, then, interesting. Okay, my my summary. I guess I have three parts of my summary. One is just the size of the opportunity, more macro things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Second is about uh, uh, Andela and the story of the founders um, and what I think the lessons are there. And final is just opportunities for, for government. I'm less I'm less angry about government than the two of you. Um, I think that's a common thing. I'm, I'm, I, I, I think it, I think that I think the state of things maybe to start with in government. The state of things in many African countries is just so bad. So I think the the government piece okay. for me is just we talk a lot of the podcast about access tag. This is the real access tag. Like if you fix the found if you fix the if you fix the foundations for this, same way with healthcare and education. If you fix healthcare, education, um, you have to have a better pipeline for companies like Andela or Degagon or whatever. Like just that, those, co- those companies are having to go even further and further mm-hmm. back to find people. And it's just insane. And it just tells mm-hmm. me about like, there's just a large opportunity for government and even in a small scale. And by small scale, maybe by, I don't mean government like federal government, some guys in Abuja or some guys in Accra or some guys in Kampala. I mean government like authority, like people in schools. Like it's not, it's not that complex for a school to have what he, he just described, which is having computers for people to loan and take classes or yeah, having internet. internet available in public spaces that is metered and measured and managed with incentives to access certain kinds of programs and products. I think there's just a large opportunity for incentives to just small changes to make a big a big improvement in behavior in I, I for this business model. But Bankali, I, I agree with you, but, but just a clarifying question. The stuff you've said, a lot of private groups can also do that. No, it's not necessarily like the government yes. stuff. Yes, yes. Not so much government, but authority, right? If I can go somewhere and create the right incentives for this to happen, to increase the pipeline. Because right now, the pipelines for all these businesses stop at mm-hmm. graduates who don't know anything and lend them to code, right? I, feel, <laughs> I think you can go further back because there's no reason why like 17, 18, 19 can't do front end and can't do some back end. If you can, you don't have to go to 20, wait till 23, for mm-hmm. example, in many of these cases. And I think that's sort of what I think about is you can okay. do a lot, a lot of things to increase the pipeline here and you make a complete step change in this industry or even like broadly, um, broadly the economy as a whole. Okay. okay good. Second okay. is the opportunity okay. for like impact. Um, on other episodes, I think I, I re- we talked about Axie Infinity the other time. It's just this idea that, um, that work and employment is global. The, the, Conservatives in the U.S., people, uh, Republicans, always like people are one controversial opinion that I've heard conservative economists hold is people are poor because they don't produce anything valuable. That's not that's not that's not entirely yeah, true. Well, exactly. You know, there's structural issues, but but fundamentally well. it's true. And the reason about value is basically that's what happens when somebody has job X in making a, making one thousand dollars and does the same thing at job Y making thousand dollars. That's why tech companies pay their security guards more than any other company. Because just it's just way more valuable to right. to them to be a security guard for a data center and be a security guard for a construction site, for example. And this whole right. industry yes. is creating for for the first time, you can actually create something valuable by being in Ilori, in Quara, in Accra, in Tema, um, in any of these small small cities. Like people can actually start creating things that are globally valuable mm-hmm. that are worth something. That is that was not possible like five, five, six, seven years ago. Um makes me pretty bullish about this industry as a whole. 
and this this market trends. Finally, okay, more macro stuff. Finally, uh, Andela, I think that it's not a linear story. It feels as we tell it as like a very linear story to the fundraising. It was every eleven months by clockwork. It was an announcement in TechCrunch, and it was twice the, twice the number of the previous year, like yeah. just like clockwork. And then it's just like up <laughs> up and to the right. Definitely right? not linear. Definitely not linear. Also, especially with the 2019, yeah. 2020 layoffs and readjustment, definitely not linear, especially not linear with 2019 yeah. and the COVID initial negative impact. Even though COVID eventually ended up being positive, they had a bunch of distortions. And, and I was being a bit so tongue in cheek about, you know, being like, oh, you, you fired people and then you raised money. But at the time, nobody knew how COVID was going to turn out. You know, there were all kinds of crazy forecasts Correct. about how Africa would be decimated by the virus and there would be nobody left in Africa because of COVID. And, and all of these things will happen and there was no cure and it's going to take five years to find a vaccine. There are a lot of different pieces, right? So right. I, the business did what was best for the business. Um, but overall, it's just it's been a story of just dealing with the anyhowness of Nigeria and Nigerians. Like, I just don't imagine a model of right. like just right. employee management the upfront investment, the amount of things you have to burn when you hire people, pay them, give them equipment. What if people leave you the equipment? Just all of that, this logistical operation stuff I know. Um, makes me like super like, um, right. I admire, maybe make me like super like admire of like the yes. will and the strength of will to just execute on something like this over right. the last couple of years. Especially bank on that point, because it's not a pure tech platform business. It is not Paystack API. This is, they need, it's it's more similar to Uber with deep operations. Yeah. Jumia, we always make fun of Jumia on the podcast with all the logistics stuff. It's a hard business. And just because we're trying to summarize the story in two hours, don't underestimate the difficulty, like you said. like People with, like, management, them, HR. They have internet. Yeah. Like, it, like it's something in Nigeria. Traffic, it's even police, something SARS, stopping people well. with how laptops. Do sure, how do we make sure the, the Andela office always has electricity. That alone is a nightmare in Nigeria. You have to yeah. figure out a generator solution, right? It's, it's, so, it's such a difficult country to operate in, especially for a physical... I, this this was not like an so easy model to, to persevere with. There's no moment of... There's... there's, there's right. It takes a long time to get to a moment of, of sufficient scale where this becoming less of an issue, which is why, like, as you said, they're moving towards more of a platform, more of a marketplace. Like, it, But it takes a lot of pain to get there. Like, yes. You have to like work with each person you get through the chain Work with each um, person on the other side of the marketplace, working right. through the chain. The major part of my of my summary is just being strongly um, okay. strongly admired entrepreneurs, and will build this entire business and the opportunity to increase like the massive like impact that this business is having um, the ecosystem. I think I'm listening to your summaries, and I'm like, but but the major point is that you see, if you think about it from the point of view of just Andela, I think you yeah. almost missed the point, right? It's a really a story about human capital. And what a viable template for um, how you... I think the first thing is to consider the fact that it's not about Andela, right? Um, Andela, Andela is great, uh, but, but primarily it was more or less like a model, mm -hmm. like an example, right? For what is possible when um, African talent is nurtured and brought to the fore and invested in. I mean, the, the impact of Andela, um, you know, just even symbolized yeah. by the... Uh, investments and the knock-on effects yeah. and the people it touched and the people right. who got trained as a result. Right. I mean, it's just been phenomenal for the ecosystem, bringing someone like Mark Zuckerberg yeah. to the table. I mean, right. this stuff, it's its a miracle, you know? Yeah. So I, I think you have to think about it that way first from a macro level, what was Andela's impact on the ecosystem? And then it doesn't really matter what its valuation ah. is and what its future looks like. 
But I think that <laughs> on the Apogee podcast, we really, we really, really care about that. On, on this podcast, we care about well, that. But well, I love it. My, my point is, what is the Apogee podcast? And Andela is now. I would argue Andela yeah. is now a global company. It's transcendent it Africa, right? It is, so right. it's no longer about whether it does well in Africa fair, or not. Fair, so, fair, But mm-hmm. but its origins fair. being from Africa, right, are very important for the Afrobility podcast. Now the question is, yes. what can we learn from mm-hmm. the Andela experience, right? And for me, it really boils down to three things, right? Number one, you need a global team to create the kind of change um, that we need in Africa, right? And we need to be thinking about the change more from a what can Africa do for the world perspective rather than what can the world do for Africa. And this was the first time that you had a global company in Africa working with Africans to serve the world. Yeah. As opposed to global Mm. company with engineers in New York or Seattle or wherever. You know, I mean, a lot of companies after Andela then decided to come and set up shop in in Africa. Before, people used to tell us it was impossible. That's true. Do you understand? But now, it's no longer impossible. So we know now that it's possible for you to run a firm out of out Building of world-class software Africans yeah, can and maintain uptime. World-class software. Yeah, yeah, we know that. That's a good one. Yeah. So we know, yeah. we know that. And I think, fi- finally, there's a question of how do we scale the impact Andela has, right? Andela is out. So how do we, so how do we scale the impact Andela has? Scaling the impact Andela had is really going to revolve around how can we create more access for people? Mm-hmm. The content is out there, yes, but the access correct. is not. So who is going to hmm. build the cats there? Very Government. On that point, E, you, you did say more laptops, more internet. The good thing is with the proliferation of mobile phones, there's another angle yes. to come at it with like mobile and internet. You always need internet, right? But at least you don't need the laptop. Prices are dropping. So, so there's an Prices angle. Dropping we did an episode well. about with... Prices are dropping. We did an episode with Transient, the the Chinese company that's doing all these low-cost mobile phones. There's an angle there. The only issue is you need a company that can also tell a mission-driven story that can raise enough money because it's going to be expensive. There's no way to do like free, fast internet for everyone without like incurring a lot of costs. And there's no way to eat the cost without raising a lot of money. So th- there's some angle there that we've thought about because we did an episode about Reliance yeah. Geo, thank you, about like how can we get a Reliance Geo in Africa situation where someone is, I hate to use the word, but subsidizing the cost so everyone else can grow and learn. Somebody's making, I would not, it's not even subsidizing, somebody's making a long-term upfront investment uh, to monetize internet access of a lot yes. of people further down the Hopefully. line over a long, over a longer payoff period. Yes. Right? Yes. Who's going to put down that money for Africa's right. Right. teeming population? I don't know. We'll find out. Okay, so so we have uh, re- recommendations and small ones. So, E, this part of the podcast, Bank and I talk about things we want to recommend to the audience that we've read or we found on the internet. So I have to. Um, I started reading this mm-hmm. article, uh, Banky, How Zillow Stopped Selling Houses by our yeah. friend Matt, Matt Levine on Bloomberg. Amazing. I'm going to add a link to the show notes. It's basically, uh, for everyone, everyone knows Zillow, right? So Zillow is like a, a place where you can check the value of your house. But they started actually buying houses and selling them, basically like open door. But they shut that down a few weeks ago. Basically, they said they were losing too much money and the risk was too high. So great article by Matt Levine. I'll add a link. Second recommendation is SyncBack. SyncBack is basically a file synchronization platform. It works better than the actual OneDrive and Google Drive apps. So I'm not using that to sync all the files on my computer. Interesting. So two recommendations for me. How it's is it? Great. How it's does really, it work better? It works better, better than work the native better clients. Oh, okay, work better means, so I use yeah. Google Drive and OneDrive simultaneously, and I back up all this off my laptop uh, and on my external hard drive to the internet. So my external hard drive has mm-hmm. like 10 gigs. Right, so Google Drive and OneDrive, they just don't work well if you have because of Afferability episodes. Mm-hmm. I have so many big files, but Google Drive keeps on crashing and doesn't sync properly. 
um, when you have an external oh, drive see. that's massive size. So I don't know. This is like a one percent problem. How many of our audience has okay. like ten gigabytes external drive? It's just it doesn't it doesn't perform mm. properly for that edge case. External large hard drives. It's fucked up. Interesting. It's really interesting. Bad. Okay. Okay. My yeah. um, interesting. My own recommendations. I have two. Mm-hmm. One is um, Deep High Life Cut. Um, it's Tete Mo Bumo by Tony Habo. What? It's a great song. It's a song? It's a song, <laughs> it's a song from the 70s, Nigeria High Life. I actually realized, I listen to a lot of High Life at home, like especially when I'm working. Right. Um, and it just reminds me of, you know, good times, friends, makes me like crave sitting outside on white plastic chairs. My, my sister used to have this joke that like Nigerian men have a genetic predisposition to sitting outside in parking lots on white plastic chairs. That's funny. I definitely do have that. I, I can't shake it. Um, that was good. So that's one recommendation. It's a great song. If you like High Life, trying to get High Life, start there. It's a vibe. Um, second recommendation is a book I just read called The Infinite Machine. It's about Ethereum. Oh, so yes. This, 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 is my, um, this is my crypto quarter. Q4 is my crypto quarter. It's time. Crypto is here. Um, yeah, but I've been reading more about Ethereum. It's about the history, why it's cool or why it's not, and how it works with the other chains, but more from like a human history perspective, like the people behind it and Vitalik, what it did. Vitalik, legend. Uh, Vitalik and the rest of the team. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, those are my two recommendations. Tete Mo Bumo by Tony, Tony Habor. Uh-huh. Um, this is, um, and I like the song because the way it starts too. It says, this is me, mm-hmm. Tony Tete Mo Bumo, explaining my loneliness. <laughs> okay. I love it. Uh, e, e, any recommendations for the audience? Things you've read, articles you found, books, anything you want to recommend to our audience? Um, the Prosperity Paradox is like one of my favorite texts. I don't know how many of your previous guests might have recommended it, but <laughs> yeah. it's a really good book. Mm-hmm. Um, Love it. And um, I think for inspiration, if you're trying to be a founder, I like to read Founders at Work. It's a really, really good mm. book. Oh, who, 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 nice. wrote, who wrote Founders at Work? That that was written by Jessica, I think Jessica, um, Paul Graham's wife. Livingston? I think Livingston, yes, yeah. oh, Small wins. Oh, my small win is great. I got an air, a bigger air fryer last week. So typically, when I'm making my food, my tofu, I used to use this small air fryer. I used to use multiple batches. I got this big digital air fryer. It's so good. Even minor changes in your technological experience can make your life experience so much better. Because when I bought, I'm like, oh, it's not that much different. It's just a bigger air fryer. Yeah. But there's something about the way I use it. It saves me so much time and mental headache about thinking about using different batches. Yeah. It, it's, it's a broader point about. What was technology? Technology is basically like science and engineering helping us solve problems. Some problems are bigger. Some problems are smaller. But there's something about the convenience factor that's hard to know in your head until you execute it. So anyway, uh, recommend this air fryer. Just using it made it way better. So that's my small one. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. My small one, I had a great dinner. Um, I had a great birthday dinner with my partner yesterday. You you had a birthday dinner before your birthday. (laughs) Very nice restaurant. No, because that was originally available. We waited several months for this reservation. Okay. Um, One of those tasty menu fufu things it was super nice it was super nice it was very very nice it was a great and it was also like a great time to like stop and not do anything i love it man excellent ha- happy birthday man i can't believe we recorded this on your birthday e any small win you've had uh, something small that made you happy over the past week even if it was um, you want to share with the audience well i had a bunch of companies i was working with get into y combinator oh hell yeah nice. so, hell yeah. yeah so like it's actually been really cool i've had like one every every day is it a secret do you want to announce it or is it a secret can we talk no, about it no because i can't tell you i can't tell you the news obviously not <laughs> okay okay <laughs> okay, okay. To do that, but I'm, okay but, but I, I tried I, like, I tried do you want to say what sectors they're in or you can't say the sectors no no like one just fish like you want to tell us their names but from the back okay, on that you want, no, replace on that the, you want to replace the, the, the barrels and the names no, no, give us the names all right thank you it was a pleasure we're gonna wrap
So cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, topics you'd like to hear, or just want to say hello, please email info at afferability.com. Thanks.